Waves are curled. Sharks will be swirling as Slim Jim presents WCW's Bash at the Beach. Snap into a Slim Jim. Snap into the biggest thing ever to hit the face. WCW's Bash at the Beach. Oh, yeah. Brought to you by Slim Jim. Snap into it. I'll be snapping into some payback from the Nature Boy. Oh, yeah. The big steel cage will be rumbling like a tidal wave when WCW world champion Hulk Hogan returns to the shores of the Pacific to fend off the miraculous monster Big Van Vader. Let's rumble and tumble at the WCW Bash at the Beach. Sponsored by Slim Jim. Snap into it. I like the visual, though. I'm a big um, fan of things looking different in arenas and whatever you know WWE have got their stuff down so much now that every arena looks exactly the same and it and it's probably also a consequence of how arenas are designed they're all basically like airfix kits these days aren't they basically they just get put up and so everything just looks exactly the same so this was just nice to have a different visual in the background it's quite fun seeing the sea in the background and just people walking around so from that perspective I enjoyed it I wouldn't want most of the shows to be like this, but I just like the fact that it was ever so slightly different. It's a shame they didn't ever have, they didn't maybe try different terrains. You know, you know, I know there's obviously the, the you know like a rumble in the jungle and they drop them in the middle of the Amazon forest, <laughs> or or the, you know they have like one in like an industrial estate or something like that. You know, that'd be amazing. Desert Strike in the Saudi Arabian. <laughs> that'd be phenomenal. We should start a wrestling promotion and do that. That'd be amazing. Welcome once again to the Random Wrestling Review. I'm Ben Spindler, and as always, we are recording this show two weeks in advance of the episode being made live. And so, as a consequence, we are coming to you from the morning of the European Championship final between England and Italy. So if we seem a little distracted, that will be why. We're also taking a chance even mentioning it here, because depending on the result of the match, the majority of our listeners will either find that to be a great reminder of a beautiful day or a memory they'd rather be allowed to leave in the past. Talking of memory, I am joined by old man Sam Kerry, who implores us all each and every week to remember Ken Patera, which is ironic as Sam himself forgot the great man during last week's The Game. Old man, how are you? Well, I've been struggling with my conscience having forgotten Ken Patera, but I'm glad to know that you haven't, and undoubtedly the, the listener hasn't. How could they possibly forget, old man? How could they possibly forget? You remind them every week, and then you forgot. Well, you know what? We say that they haven't forgotten, but we don't have any evidence that they remember Ken Patera. So how about after this week's episode, people react to the post of the show on Twitter at Pod with a nice picture of Ken Patera. How about that? That would be lovely. But don't worry, old man, don't feel too bad because you weren't the only one to suffer from temporary memory loss during last week's The Game. Because also joining me today is Tom Smith, who failed to recall the name of the man featured on the T-shirt he was wearing while playing. Tom, welcome to the show. Uh, good morning, mate. Well, it's interesting. I'm wearing a Golden State Warriors t-shirt, so if anything happens and I forget the name of the Ultimate Warrior, then I'm covered. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're hosting the game today, so it's not going to make any difference to you, is it? I know. I realised that halfway through the sentence, but then I also... Well, things are, I'm, I'm also distracted, because not only am I distracted, you know, thinking about England, which I do most all day, every day, anyway, <laughs> um, but I'm also, uh, I'm also distracted, because I'm looking forward to, to getting to the beach, bash at the beach, 
two and a half hours of sun, sea, and sex. Bridlington won't know what's here. <laughs> yes, indeed, we are covering WCW's Bash at the Beach 1995 today. But before we get into the detail of the show, just a quick reminder to please give us some form of kudos on whatever platform you happen to be listening to us on. A five-star rating, a thumbs up, or a few words of encouragement will do just fine. Right then, let's get into Bash at the Beach. As you say, Tom, WCW's Bash at the Beach 1995, and it is indeed on a beach, which is something that caught me off guard, because you know what? I think I've seen perhaps footage of, for example, the following year's Bash at the Beach, which is where the NWO all begins, and that's not at a beach. So I was like, I just figured they just used it as a silly name, but it turns out that T4 on the beach takes place uh, in WCW. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we went to T4 the beach once, didn't we, Tinky? Yeah, well, that you know what? I actually was thinking about that a lot during the show because I felt like you have to think about the audience that you're getting when you do something like this, where you're basically opening up your show for free to people to just come along. And people who don't give a damn about anything that's going on on stage, which is pretty much the attitude we had back in the day when mm. we went to T4 on the beach. I didn't know any of the acts, I don't think, or at least I didn't care about any of the acts that were on stage during that period. I certainly didn't care about the presenters that were from T4. But, you know, it was free, so you just go along and and get involved. And I guess that's kind of the crowd here as well, so that's why I was thinking a lot about it. It was also, well, to be fair, I, I seem to remember you having a lovely little time to uh, feed her, um, uh, jumping and then having a tremendous fall from greats. So I seem to remember you jumped up and did a massive bit of air guitar and then absolutely stacked it afterwards. It's a very vivid memory of mine, I don't know why. And also, me and you, and I think uh, Mark and maybe Johnny and a couple of other people were absolutely going mad for Bass Hunter. Oh, Bass Hunter was, was quality. <laughs> I don't remember the feeder thing, but I, I have no reason to deny that, to doubt it. I'm sure it did happen. But yeah, Bass Hunter in particular was uh, it was, a, it was probably the highlight of the day, which, which probably says it all about the day, quite frankly. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know who Bass Hunter is. Well, you haven't it's lived, Bass Hunter. You haven't lived. <laughs> he's like he's like a Swedish like house producer um, who had like uh. a moment a couple of years ago. But it was a uh, it, it was actually very good on an episode of Nevermind the Buzzcocks once. I seem to remember. He was yes. Go on, Bass Hunter. <laughs> yes, I remember that. I remember that, but I didn't know that his name was. Ba- yeah, because they don't they call him Mister Hunter or Mister Bass or something like that. It's Simon Amstel's hosting it, isn't he? Yeah. So, okay, let's talk about our expectations going into this show. Uh, let's start with you, Tom. What were your expe- expectations going into Bash at the Beach 1995? It's hard. Okay, I say this every fucking week, don't I? Hard to describe. I always quite enjoy old WCW pay-per-views because there's usually some good wrestling on. They're usually a little bit crap as well at the same time. But it feels like a nostalgia, even though it's not something I've seen before. It's a bit of an odd thing because I'm very aware of the time period in wrestling, but not aware with this particular product when it comes to wrestling. Um, the thing that I was very much looking forward to was, because uh, I thought it was on a beach as well. In fact, for some reason, in my mind, Bash at the Beach 96 is at a beach as well, even though, it, as you said just now, it's not. But I don't know why, but in my mind it was. So I was, I was quite intrigued uh, quite intrigued by that. I don't quite know why. I was not looking forward to this. I really was not looking forward to watching this. I did not know it was on a beach, but I did pack a towel just in case. I was not excited by this, and there was nothing in the uh, opening video, which I'm sure we'll get to, that made me excited. The only thing that did pique my interest was that bloody sexy, muscly scene. <laughs> oh, my bloody words. When I saw that, when I went into the WWE Network, who we mentioned enough that should probably be paying us royalties, 
And I saw that. I thought, you know what? It might not be all bad. And then when it started, and as you've said, thinking, and Tommy said, like, when it was on a beach, I was like, I don't think this is going to be very good. I did expect the muscly seed to come up. And for those who haven't listened to the specific episode that comes up, we are talking about the logo for Bash at the Beach here, which mm. originally was part of the Beach Blast logo. So they've obviously uh, modified it for this particular pay-per-view. Now, I didn't write any notes about the the uh, opening video package, I've got to be honest. And my expectations were relatively low because obviously I discussed when we spoke about Spring Stampede 1994, which both myself and Old Man, we really like, the fact that the promotion t- changes entirely after mm. that almost almost immediately after that point and we get a very very different wcw after that point and i that was kind of that was very much in my mind as a oh yes this is where wcw goes very very different to a thing that we both really liked and obviously is this is still just about a month before nitro kicks off so it's just before nitro as well so this is a this is an interesting time for wcw but perhaps not a time i was particularly looking forward to seeing a show for so um yeah the the video package, I did, as I said, I didn't really make any notes for it. So I don't know if there's anything you guys wanted to talk about. I thought it was a relatively standard. The main thing is that they've got a lifeguard match, which I thought was interesting. And to be honest, I was a bit disappointed when, um, we'll, we'll get to it, when the concept's actually realised. I was a bit disappointed with that. I don't quite know what I had in my head for how it may have worked, but I was a bit like, ah, come on. And then Hogan Vader, and I was like, oh, Vader. I do like Vader. Well, I bloody love Vader. And then I was like, ooh, 1995 Hulk Hogan. And then they cut to Bobby Heenan and Tony Schiavone. And then I kind of, I warmed up a little bit, but not quite as warm as Bobby Heenan looks. <laughs> it does look like a hot day. There's all kinds oh, of yeah. very, very heated. Mm. And as you say, Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan are our commentators. Any other notes on them as the commentary team? We've, we have spoken about them before, of course. I was just watching them, and I was like, something's weird. What's what's weird about them? And then it wasn't until we threw it to Mean Gene later on. I'm like, they're all wearing sunglasses. Which I know, which I understand, obviously, the practicalities of having to, you know, work on the outside on a really hot day. Like, you probably need them. But they're a very strange visual that you're not used to. And Shivoni, and I couldn't get every time they cut to him, he's wearing these hair. He looks like Robocop. Obviously, Robocop's weaker brother. And I was like, he looks like Robocop. And I can't, I couldn't get it out of the head. We'll get into this through the show, but I, I'll be honest. I th- it kind of like starts at the start. I think they're both folding this in a little, and I don't know whether it's the heat or whether it's the direction that the company would appear to be going. But I don't think they have the best of times. These two lads. Yeah, even by Shivoni standards, his faux enthusiasm mm. is pretty pretty amped up can yeah. i can, can i revisit the tony shivoni thing about robocop because i'm not getting it at all what what are you talking about <laughs> well so robocop's got a very like not square but kind of like rounded square head and the sunglasses looked like his eyes basically mm. okay. and because tony shivoni has got quite a well it's been said many times his head is shaped very much like Robocop's. <laughs> uh, the amount of times I've heard people say that. <laughs> like, and also, I think WCW, a big, I've never seen it, but a big thing that I associate them with is Robocop because they have Robocop like tie-ins a couple of times. I think I was just hoping that Robocop would turn up. <laughs> <laughs> just this guy drenched in sweat in this Robocop outfit in that boiling hot sun. And he's got to sit there in a metal suit just like, oh, fuck. 
<laughs> I I too noted the phoning in, um, and actually it's a major part of what I was thinking about this show. Uh, and uh, you know, not to kind of go into the overall too much, but I do think I think you're right. Bobby Heenan in particular, I think, is phoning it in during the show. Yes. And I also felt that about Oak Gene Oakland as well when he's doing his um, interview yes. segments. And I know it sounds weird because they're on a beach, it's really hot, and they're trying to portray a certain brand for this. But when Gene Oakland steps out of a tux, it's wrong. It's just not well, on. <laughs> not only that, but it's, it's the WCW branded poker shirt, which I can kind of get. But he's in shorts, massive shorts. They're like the sort of shorts that Kevin Smith would wear. Enormous <laughs> voluminous shorts. And they're like cream. Like he must, it must have been. He must have got. He must have like dropped all sorts of stuff down there. Food. You know what I mean? You probably can see a little bit of piss through the front. <laughs> oh, poor old Gene. The polo shirts, I'm glad we meant, they're fucking weird. It's just so weird because what I don't understand about these polo shirts, they've had them made. So you're like, right, Gene, Robert, Tony, we're going to make you some polo shirts for this show. Yeah, cool. What size are you? Actually, we're not worried about the size. We're going to make them all fit in, so it'll be all right. And they just <laughs> don't fit. The initial blast of what we're going to get is like fucking hell. This is going to be a tough two and a half hours. <laughs> also, and again, old man, you'll, you'll appreciate this as a, as a bold man. I mean, Gene's wearing a hat. Yes. <laughs> I was like, oh, come on, come on. You've, you've ruined it enough. He's got some crap round, like, Oasis-style mm. sunglasses on. He's got his little hat on. He's got his ill-fitting polo shirt and his massive shorts on. I mean, he, that's a guy who's got one foot into retirement who doesn't give a fuck anymore, does he? <laughs> Well, don't worry, because the show starts with a video package about Meng, strangely uh, involving footage of river rapids, um, which I, yes. I don't really understand. Um, it's very old fashioned. It's very strange. It's like a, it's like a, we are previewing a new style that's coming in, which I, I assume he was new in WCW at the time. But it's almost like the kind of thing you'd expect to see on the weekly television show, as opposed to the opening video package of a pay-per-view. I fucking love this video package. <laughs> I don't know why, but I can't I can tell you why. It felt very different in my mind to a lot of the ones we've seen recently. And it, it took me back to what we were talking about last week with those dreadful Triple H um, and Evolution backstage segments, mm. where I think it was you who said, to do something to take me out of the arena, take me out of it. And it very much, even though it's not in an arena, it's a beach. But, you know, it, it very much, I very much felt like it was something completely different than mm. what I was expecting from the rest of the show. And it made Meng look, look like an absolute killer as well, which is what you need, isn't it? I found myself with far more enthusiasm about this Meng promo than almost anything else about the entire show, <laughs> if I'm being honest. <laughs> I, uh, I just love the fact he's with the Colonel. He's, he's with Colonel Bobby P, who, <laughs> tell you what, this guy, he's getting there, but he's almost Mr. Wrestling too in my eyes. <laughs> he's just... Uh, just love Colonel Robert Parker, who, well, we'll get to the match. He puts in a fucking shift outside that ring as well, mm. considering what he's wearing. What a fucking hero. So can we just um, can we just clarify something then? Is it is it now Val Venus, Mr. Wrestling 2, Colonel Robert Parker, in your estimation, in the terms of the rankings of your favourite wrestlers ever? It is, yeah. I mean, we haven't watched enough, but I think if we get a few more, Rick Martel will sneak up there as well. Mm. Um, Ken Patera, in spite of the fact I don't want people to forget him <laughs> I'd rather not remember him which is why I make sure everyone else remembers him he's probably just outside the top 
75,000. <laughs> Speaking of Gene Oakland, he is then with Sting in an interview. Um, this is relatively standard. Sting says he's on his home turf. He knows seven different types of crazy. Don't know what yeah. about. Um, he says he's got his mum and dad at ringside and he won't be humiliated. And he also says, and this is a quote, I got my muscles going just right. <laughs> Don't know what that means. No idea what that means, but that's what he says. <laughs> There's a major problem with this. So you've got main, monster main. Oh. So with Bobby Ping, you've just built him up. Sting's promo, immediately knows winning. His mum and dad are in the crowd. He loses in front of his mum and dad, and you're like, and it's like you've just wasted a perfectly good video package building this monster to then have him lose to Sting. Although Gene does make him go, <laughs> in, the, uh, in the little promos. Not all bad. But Sting is burnt. He's sunburned already on his like just on his left pectoral muscle. And I was like, fuck me, how hot must it be? That he's probably been stood in the sun for about seven seconds and he's burnt already. All I could think was how burnt I get. Horrible stuff. Well, first of all, on on the sting thing, I watched it and then it's it goes through that Mean Tunes evidently not paying attention to it. But he then asks him a question to which Sting just says the exact same thing afterwards. So he says, <laughs> he's, he does the opening question, Sting says all the stuff, and then it, there's like a reset moment where Big big Mean Gene asks him the same question and just answers the same way. But the thing is, though, despite the fact that it's not a very good promo in terms of like context and everything, it's still probably the best Sting promo I've ever seen. I think we need, we're going to have another conversation about Sting in just a moment um, in terms of his quality. So uh, look forward to that, listeners. Now we get next a big aerial shot of the beach from very high up. And there is a lot of people. There is a lot of people watching. I'll tell you what, they talk about this fucking audience. There's, uh, according to Wikipedia, nine and a half thousand. I genuinely, I think that's generous. According to them, because they keep saying it's the biggest WCW attendance at live event at 11,500. Maybe there's 11,500 people on the beach. They, they, they said it, and I was like, they must have said that wrong. It's 11,000 people for their largest attended event ever. And I was like, let's think about WrestleMania 3 in, or Wembley in 92. Yeah. Which really goes to show like the gulf in size between the two promotions at that point. When it's pretty, and, and then I thought about it afterwards and thought, it's pretty incredible. This this company who was only doing that had a capacity crowd of eleven thousand people, then managed to challenge a company which at its peak had allegedly ninety three thousand people in yeah. one stadium. Yeah, it's not um it's not that impressive. It, it did look impressive, I thought, which is why they kept showing the the visually the mm. uh, the aerial kind of view. But you're right, it wasn't overly impressive, especially as as you say, there's no way to actually measure how many people was there because it was entirely free on a beach, a public beach that anyone could effectively attend. So I don't know how they measured it whatsoever. The crowd, to be fair, the crowd are well up for it. Like you said, it's free. If I was there, I'd have had a couple of beers, I'd imagine, perhaps a little rum and coke just to get me going, get me excited. Um, I did notice at one point they cut, there's like a view from the back of the uh, crowd, which in fairness isn't a bad view, apart from for this poor chap in a wheelchair who was just sat at the back, who, and all I could think was, I have manoeuvred somebody in a wheelchair on a beach, and I know how difficult that is. And that was for probably about three yards. They are not three yards from, like, solid ground. The amount of effort that poor person or the person pushing them must have put in to get there and then get that view. You'd have think they would have been like, come on, get down the front, lad. You'll be all right. But maybe they didn't want to be at the front because they knew what they were going to be watching. 
Do you think, so there's two things I, I thought about, one of which is the logistics of pushing someone on a wheelchair on a beach. So mm. how did you go about it? Because I, I think I'd try and drag them, drag the chair by the, the wheels, so almost like so the person sat in them going backwards. I think you'd yes. probably get a bit more purchase. Yes, it's effectively the sack truck method mm. where you get them on two wheels and then there's a little drag. Like I said, this was for maybe two or three yards. So it wasn't particularly arduous. But yeah, it's uh it's difficult. Mm. So I, I really felt I, I really felt for this person. And the other thing about this setting as well, from the hard camera, the view from the hard camera is quite amusing because you can see the end of the crowd and then the rest of the beach. So it's quite yeah. amusing watching people having this high octane, high energy wrestling action, and then there's people just sunbathing. Which is walking down to the down to the sea. It's got a funny visual. And do you think that the rest of us have to put on some foundation? <laughs> because at WWE open air events, so when they do like a WrestleMania in like um in Florida or whatever, they quite often have, you know, like a thing above the ring, don't they? Like covering the actual ring. Mm. But they don't have that here. It's all open air. We'll get into this match, but one of my main points about this match was fair fucks for these two lads because they go for a over 15 minutes and this goes for everybody on this show because it looks awful there like i wouldn't have i'd have lasted 10 minutes in that crowd i'd have been crying i'd have shit myself probably three or four times <laughs> i'd probably vomited over myself while i was shitting myself i'd have had sunstroke within in the middle of mean jeans promo with sting to be honest standard wednesday afternoon for you then old man. <laughs> it was oh, what a wednesday though I did try and find what time it started, what time the event started as well. Because most pay-per-views, I think, start at about six or seven in the evening. But you don't want that because then you're not going to get all the, you know, the passers-by. So it made me think they must have started at about like two in the afternoon or something like that, which would have been, oh. It says on the post of 4 p.m. 4 p.m. Mm. Uh, and also they're obviously dictated by the sea as well. That would have been amazing. <laughs> The sea comes in and washes everyone away. <laughs> they actually would have to have a lifeguard match then, wouldn't they? Yeah. <laughs> so the first match is Sting versus Meng. I should note that the wrestlers, when they come out for their matches, emerge from a gazebo type thing that they've mm. set up on the beach. Um, Sting versus Meng is for the US title. And as Old Man's already said, it lasts for over 15 minutes. Um, the match ends when Sting ducks under a Meng kick and rolls him into a schoolboy for the pin. Old Man, your thoughts on this one? Um, very clunky, I think, is a fair way of putting it. This kind of hires back to what I said about the promo video. You're trying to build Meng as this monster. And then. Sting is effectively no-selling everything he does for the first five minutes of the match. To be honest, they don't seem to really know what they're doing for the first five minutes or so of this match. They're just kind of doing stuff. And there's no there's no intensity at all. And I can kind of understand that because of the heat. As I said before, like, it looks hot. They look like they're not having the best time. Colonel Robert Parker is in full garb, so he is wearing everything he would wear in a normal arena show. I can't even imagine how hot he must have been. As I said, the match is a bit clunky. And then there's a bit where, and this harps back to our King of the Ring 1996 episode. So there's a match where Vader gets disqualified 
and we talked at length about the unnecessary reason for him being uh sorry the um the fact that it looks like Vader's going to lose and he's going to be pinned for three by Javis Nate Roberts following the DDT and Tiki raised that uh, no, you don't need to do that because it makes him look weak and we have the exact same situation here where Meng who is this monster he's this monster no one could beat him apparently and Sting has him in his horrendous little scorpion deathlock and he is basically going to give up until Colonel Bobby P gets involved. I was happy about that. I wanted to see Bobby P get involved. But then I was like, well, what are you doing then? He's not a monster. Sting's not very good. We're, we've watched, I don't know how many of his matches now we've watched. He's not very good at all. We've talked, Tinky in particular has talked about like the little fundamentals of like wrestling. He's not good at those things. He doesn't seem to, to be honest, he seems like a scream. And then... When he goes to Crow Sting, a bit of like mysteriousness about him, and that's kind of what he is. And then the match ends, and Meng is very annoyed. He's been schoolboy, I'd be annoyed as well. And then Hawk comes down for some reason, and then Meng decides that he doesn't want to fight Hawk, so he just backs off, and then it ends. <laughs> it's really weird. And it was, to be honest, the end kind of summed up how I felt about the whole match. Not very good. And all a little bit pointless. Tom? The phrase clunky, which old man used, sums it up perfectly right. There's a couple of bits I've even taken notes from from, from Sting's offense. Sting does the worst Hurricane Runner I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's dreadful. After that, he follows up by trying to do a springboard crossbody off the second turnbuckle, to which he misses one of the ropes, stumbles back down, gets up and does it. It looks awful. The roll-up at the end is an ab- it's worse than Owen Hart's on Austin's after he's broken his neck. It is a dreadful <laughs> one. It's so bad. And Sting is just crap. There's no there's no way to describe it. And I don't understand how he was ever over. It's not even as if he's a good promo, because as we discussed earlier, he's not even a good promo. At least with like and he's not even that different, you know, at least like Warrior for all of his faults, at least was different. It was presented differently. He, this guy is just rubbish. Um, there's a couple of bits that did make me chuckling. There's a bit where Sting does a chop block on Ming, and Tony Schroeder goes, "Oh, incredible!" <laughs> massively overselling the the impressive nature of this. But one thing, there is there's a couple of moves from Ming in there that are absolute killers. He hits an absolutely brutal brainbuster on Sting that looks like it nearly kills him. And then does an incredible counter from a stinger splash with a kick to Sting mm. that nearly decapitates him at the same time. <laughs> it's just it's just a kind of mixture of one wrestler who is quite good and authentic in in Ming. I know you're a big you're a big King Haku guy, aren't you, Tinky? Um, and someone who's really crap in, uh, in in Sting. So I did think at the beginning of this match is this the first time we've seen chronologically that we've seen Michael Buffer. Has he been around in any shows that we've watched prior to this taking place? I can't I think, remember. I, I feel like he was at Spring Stampede, but I may be wrong. No, I, I can't deal with his prose as as they're walking, as people are walking down to the ring. And he also at one point says Sting is the star of Thunder in Paradise, which I'm pretty sure was Hulk Hogan. Yes, he'd apparently made a couple of guest appearances. The, the star then. Yeah. <laughs> also, Sting's music has got a fucking cowbell in it that does not quit. And, uh, and talking back to Old Man's lack of fundamentals, Sting comes down to the ring, shows off the belt, holding it upside down. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it's it's not a very good match. And I think that the, like, further to what Old Man said, the, 
the way that's Meng or Ming. How is it? Is it Meng or Ming? I always thought it's, it was Meng. It's Meng. It is Meng. M E N G. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, because you couldn't have Ming versus Sting, could you? That'd be ridiculous. <laughs> um, as someone they presented as quite a serious threat in a really crap match, which he loses to a really crap rollout, and it gets scared off by a drunken hawk. Yeah, so I agree with you both. It is very clunky. There are some very badly executed moments of the match. I noted the Hurricane Rana. I noted one or two of the other things you suggested. I also noted the very cool spot where Meng hits the kick on Sting as he jumps into the corner, and that unglues the crowd. The crowd properly popped for that. It was good. I'm still not willing to say that Sting's not very good. There's something... I don't know, and I may be wrong in this, but I don't know whether or not we have been viewing Sting through the view, through the wrong view. So, and this may be just me, but in the past, I've always equated Sting to WCW's equivalent of Bret Hart. They were both the baby faces at the same sort of time. They both do the sharpshooter, Scorpion, Deathlock, whatever you want to call it, right? And they were therefore kind of synonymous with that company when we were when well certainly when i was first getting into wrestling so i've always equated them as being on on a par or not on a par but the, the equivalents the truth is though that that's not true as as you rightly uh will take umbrage with tom that, that he's not wcw's equivalent of Bret Hart. he is wcw's equivalent of hulk hogan and when you view sting through that prism I start to think actually he's pretty good because he's much more, I find his matches much more enjoyable to watch than Hulk Hogan's matches. Um, and so I think previously, perhaps I've been judging him on the basis that this guy's nothing compared to Bret Hart. But then when I judge him against Hulk Hogan, my mind is changed a little bit and my perspective changes. I don't think this thing's fit to fucking clean up one of Hulk Hogan's loads either. <laughs> I I just like Hulk Hogan is so much, so much better than Sting. Charismatic. You know I mean, you could sell out arenas, you know, despite, you know, his, his obvious character flaws, which you find out later in life. Um, he is such and he's more technically proficient in the ring. And he was a better promo. He's, everything is better about Hulk Hogan than Sting. Even if that's the tr- even if that's true, I still think if I compare him to Hogan as opposed to Bret Hart, I find him to be much more. I think when I go into his matches, I'm expecting something that I shouldn't be expecting. I think that's the problem when I watch Sting's matches. I'm If I imagine Hogan. In 1995, against Meng, I can't imagine it being anywhere near as good as the match we saw between Sting and Meng. And I'm not saying this match is good. (laughs) You know, I'm not. I'm just saying it would be an absolute mess. Is the problem not that... So Hogan is Hogan. Bret Hart is Bret Hart. There are no comparisons between, like, people before or after, I don't think. Sting is held in such high esteem that he should just be Sting. I understand the point that you're making, Tinky, completely, but he shouldn't be WCW's Hulk Hogan. He should be Sting, a reason to watch WCW. And nothing I've seen of him is a reason to watch WCW. I think when he becomes the... Like, we when we covered Slambury 2000, he's doing his little crow gimmick. He's not in a very good match. And then he bats him around the head with a baseball bat at the end. It's like, I know this is five years after this, but he's just not good enough to justify any sort of hype, I don't think. I genuinely think that if his name was Alan Rogers and he was having this match and his name wasn't Sting and he didn't wear face paint, then he would have probably just fallen off the face of the earth, to be honest. I thought you were going to suggest that his name was Alan Tabernacle for a second. He ain't fit to lace that man's boots 
No, it was just it was just a, a, a sort of feeling that I had about, and, and I don't mean that WCW are trying to make him their Bret Hart or Hulk Hogan. I just imagine that I was kind of viewing him through those prisms, well, and that's unfair because that's not what he is. I'll be honest, Tinky. I've taken everything you've said on board, and I've decided that you've said that Sting is better than Bret Hart. <laughs> <laughs> don't wind me up, old man. Don't wind me up with that sort of stuff. You know what's going to happen. I'm going to react. I come off very badly, I expect. <laughs> I think the other thing, though, and this is not about Sting, it's about this match, and the fact that he doesn't sell for men very much, and the fact that he beats him and stuff, goes to my overall... I'm debating in my head whether to go into this right now because it's very early in the show and I don't want to give away kind of some of the what I feel about everything, but I feel like it is actually the right time to talk about it. So Heenan and Gene Oakland, in my view, are able to phone it in. They're get they're able to get away with it. Like and it struck home for me when I was looking at Tony Schiavone sat next to Bobby Heenan, and I was like, When he when Heenan was in WWF, he was either sat next to Gorilla Monsoon or Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon, the owner of the company, Gorilla Monsoon, effectively the guy who organizes the, the, the actual running of the show normally because he sits in the gorilla position right so you're talking about two people who are extremely invested in the quality of the show just simply won't allow them to phone it in like you can't phone it in when you're sat next to one of them tony Schiavone's not in that position of authority and it feels to me like eric bischoff pretty much just lets everyone get away with it because he doesn't care about the quality he is for me a kind of the general manager or director of football of a of a team which he's got lots of money to put in really expensively acquired talents and when they first play together they get by because they're really good players but but once everyone starts to figure out what they're doing and how they work it starts to go wrong and doesn't quite work anymore because they've got no real tactics there's no strategy about what they do we've approached wcw all of us trying trying to look through non WWF eyes as much as we can because we were brought up on WWF to varying degrees and we've we've all had varying degrees of experience of other shows but I've come to the realization and this show really brought it home for me is that there just feels like there's a lack of attention to detail in nearly everything WCW do and that's what I got from the way they handled Meng here you know this is a, we've recently introduced Meng supposedly i'd imagine someone they brought in on a good amount of money former wwf guy which we know eric bischoff loves and they fed him to sting and he's been beaten in the opening of a of a pay-per-view like that and not that it was a burial or whatever but he ultimately where can you go from here you've already kind of jobbed him out to one of your main baby faces and it just feels like that wasn't necessarily sting's fault that's just the way the promotion works nearly all the time like everything they do just seems so little thought has gone into it they just chuck stuff out there and hope things will work and occasionally got really lucky that it has worked but in the main especially i mean this perhaps doesn't apply to pre-bischoff era wcw but when bischoff comes in that's how things feel to me like they've just been thrown together and he's relied on these big names and big money signings that he's made to get them through interestingly this isn't the debut of meng well it's it's, because so he had he joined in 94 and was initially portrayed as a mysterious and intimidating bodyguard of robert parker so he was in there for a little bit and then got repackaged as the monster meng in which he then feuded with sting and road warrior hawk and be a jobber before that, and then he had this match. So he'd been around for about at least six months, I think, prior to yeah. this. But yeah. still, he's obviously debuting a new character. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, and it just it feels like lots of that is it applies to lots of what's on this show. That's how mm-hmm. I feel about it. And it kind of then made me think. So I've watched quite a lot of episodes of the of Nitro, just the first sort of ten or so episodes of Nitro, just because I was like, well, let's see what see what all the fuss was about. And I get the same feeling watching that, like. 
there are lots of ingredients that are really good. There are lots of really expensively acquired or well-recruited talents that a very good general manager or director of football has brought into this team, if you like, mm. to, to use that analogy. But there's no first team coach using them in any kind of way that makes sense or gives them, you know, makes the most of their talents. And I'm just getting that from this show as well. What they needed is they needed a Sam Allardyce to come in and play 4-4-2 and play everyone in their right positions and not be fancy dance and play about with a 3-5-2 or a 4-3-3. Because you are exactly right. I can understand why, like, because I found it very odd that Sting was opening the show. I found that quite an odd thing. Now, I know, like, you want to be, you want to bookend the show, really. You don't want to be surprised. But this is one of your main guys. I mean, when we get through the rest of the card, you can see why he is opening the card but I do feel like it's a very bum note because of the quality of the match to start the show with now obviously when you're putting the show together you don't know that it's going to be a clunky match but yeah it just just go wasting just leave us alone one thing I will say though by the time I got to the end of this match I thought to myself we've got through the sting match now all I need to do is get through the Luger match and I'll be fine and then I remembered when it was and he was busy stinking up in the WWF at this time. So I was tripping. <laughs> and I was like, yes, no Luger, no Luger. And then I remembered that he was actually teaming with uh, the British Bulldog, probably, at this time. And they had phenomenal music. Indeed. It was just a mashup of the two, effectively. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, just to really wear out that analogy about the football team, like, and Luger, you bringing up Luger actually is a really good timing because they've got Sting, they've got Hogan, they've got Savage, they've got Flair. They've got a lot of stars on this roster. Plus, they've got some good up-and-coming stars. They've got Booker T in there. They've got Diamond Dallas Page. We know that in not too long, they bring in Benoit again, and they've got Pillman still around at this time. You know, there's some good wrestlers on the on the, on the the roster. They don't need another centre forward. They don't need Lex Luger. They need some more defenders. They need some other talents, different types of talent that are going to do good things for them. And they bring in Luger anyway and spend the money on him anyway, which is classic WWE. What they need is they need Gary Pallister, <laughs> who, to my mind, is the most underrated centre-half of all time well, that I've seen in my lifetime play. Because he just come in, got on with his job, Went home. Lovely old job. I mean, Gary Pallister as well, not not too long after this, would have been available because his football career was just about done. So Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think he did re- retire because he had quite crippling back problems. But he could have probably done a job in WCW, I reckon. If you had to sell like Sting does, he'd have no problem. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> So next up, we have Gene Oakland with Jimmy Hart and the Renegade. Hmm. Um, this, uh, the only thing I pulled out from this interview was that Hart says all the magazines are talking about the Renegade. And he points to a magazine I think that he's holding or Oakland's holding, which is WW magazine. So, of course, yeah. they're talking about him. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, I don't know if you wanted to talk about the, the promo. So I'm there watching it, immediately confused off the bat. Don't know whether this guy's meant to be a heel or a face. Don't have a clue. But I'll tell you what I did know. And the Renegade is a poor man's Adam Bomb. He's dressed similarly. He's got a similar look. Obviously, he's got a little bit of face paint. Oddly, one of his shoulders is painted, which I quite like because it's kind of like a non-committal tattoo. I didn't really get this. He shouts, doesn't he? Have you missed the Have you missed the label here, old man? Yeah, he's the warrior. He's yeah. supposed to be the warrior. Oh yeah, yeah. It's not Adam Bomb rip off. Thing that's so weird about the Renegade though is that like it is such an obvious ripoff 
And I don't remember. I mean, I know obviously they talk about like um, like demolition was supposed to, or the powers of pain was supposed to be a bit of a, you know, a, a road warriors kind of rip off or you see like other things of that nature. But I've, I don't ever recall seeing such a blatant rip off of a character than the renegade versus the ultimate warrior at least and there are kind of like these lineage characters like as we discussed the other week with the with the nature boys and and stuff like that but i was wondering if there was ever such a clear and obvious rip off character that anybody else can remember that isn't like a parody or like aware you know no i get i mean i i guess you could argue diesel and, and razor ramon the fake diesel and razor ramon maybe but i mean it's not quite the same thing because it's kind of aware isn't it you know well i wouldn't say i don't think it was aware i think it was just i don't know i don't i don't think it was aware but it wasn't quite the same thing because at least they owned those that was their intellectual property it wasn't like someone else's but i don't know i mean i I guess it's difficult because we didn't know the road warriors possibly i don't know i don't know if you were someone who's watching wrestling in the early 80s and knew the road warriors and then saw the powers of pain would you be like flipping out i mean come on what a ridiculous ripoff probably i don't know but um but in terms of from my perspective no i don't think there is quite as obvious a ripoff as the renegade also if you were watching the road warriors and then you saw the powers of pain you go ah the powers of pain the tag team the road warriors wish they were that's what (laughs) you'd be saying yeah exactly the powers of pain are amazing i love the powers of pain go on guardian guardian Fucking hell, go on, Barbarian. Go on, Warlord. Go on, Guardian. Go on, Guardian. Go on, the Sunday Observer. Um, the other thing here, you're right, though. Uh, oh, man, I was a bit confused by whether or not he was a babyface or a heel. And that's because he's with Jimmy Hart. Now, we obviously find yes. out later on that Jimmy Hart is still with Hulk Hogan. And so if you, and if, I'm sure if you're a regular WCW viewer, you would also know this. But... This goes back to what I was talking about about the crowd is that I think there's a lot of people here who don't really know who's who. They're not really up on the WWE product. They're just they're there at the beach. I mean, they're going to go watch and have fun and cheer for who they want. And they're looking at this in through the view of a typical wrestling show and going, that guy's got a manager, got to be a bit, got to be a heel. And so they're cheering for Paul Orndorff all the way through this next match because they, I think they think he's the babyface because he's not got a manager. Yeah. These so this match is yeah, Paul Orndorff versus the Renegade. So it's for the World Television Championship. It's a six-minute contest. And it ends when Renegade hits a terrible belly-to-back suplex and the worst bridge ever and pins him despite one of his shoulders, Paul Orndorff's shoulders, being up. Then afterwards, Orndorff hits Renegade with a pile driver, much to the delight of the crowd. They do not like a Renegade. Renegade no-sells it and then hits a crossbody from the top, which the fans don't like. So for a start... Who was Sid Paul Orndorff in 1995? <laughs> we, watched, we watched that episode of Saturday Night's Main Event where he has his little shorts on and he's talking to Roddy Piper. And he looks old in the face there. Mm. He looks so fucking old in this match. Well, what, what, it, look- what, it, what it reminded me of is, you know, when you see him at WrestleMania 30 um, in the yes. backstage thing with Mr. T and Hogan and all the rest yeah. of them. I struggled when we saw the WrestleMania, when we saw the Saturday Night's Main Event show. I struggled to equate them as the same person because they don't, in the face, they don't really look very similar. He looks, he looks quite old for his age at the time, but he looks much younger than he does when we get to WrestleMania 30. Here we are, yeah. 10 years after the Saturday Night's Main Event show that we watched, and 20 years before WrestleMania 30, and he looks much closer to what he looks like at WrestleMania 30 yeah. than he did at the Saturday Night's Main Event. Yeah. A tough old paper round, didn't he, old Paul Orndorff? He was, he was lugging around the old mail on Sundays with all the fucking pull-outs. 
And and so, the powers of pain are also apparently newspapers. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, they're two big lads, aren't they? Trying to get them through someone's letterbox is very difficult. The renegade puts on a headlock, uh, so he's already more technically proficient than the other warrior. I think we can all agree. Ondorf <laughs> um, clearly throws sand in the renegade's face. <laughs> renegade's face yeah. To which the, the referee sells it as well. Don't DQ him at all. The renegade then hits some of the worst drop kicks I've ever seen. Oh my god! <laughs> Absolutely dreadful. And then, to top it all, he finishes with that absolute fuck-up, I guess is the only word I can describe it, of a belly-to-back suplex and wins the match. It's so crap. It's so rubbish. And at the end of the match, after um, the Renegade is in the ring celebrating, Orndorff just starts playing up to the crowd as if, like, he knows that's just a piece of shit. And he's there going, like, yeah. he's fucking yeah. shit. Go on, Paul Orndorff. Yeah! And walks off. It's just really, really crap. That last bit that you said, Tommy, was exactly what I thought. Orndorff knows how crap this is, and he really seems to play on it. And also, I think he enjoys the fact that he's getting a few cheers. Because that must be us. He's 45 at the time, Orndorff, and looks at least 18. Um, Renegade is 30 at this point, so he's got 15 years. So he's got 15 years less experience, so maybe that's why he's so crap. Tommy's covered it wonderfully. I mean, it's really bad. I also have a note on the match times. So after I watched the show, I checked the match times on Wikipedia. If these match times are correct, this is the one of the longest six minutes of my life because it seems to go on forever. Like, it goes on so long and it's so crap. Also, with the finish, like the finish is badly done anyway because, one, the terrible bridge... And two, I'm not convinced Orndorff's shoulders off the mat, but it's all right. They've got a camera angle that's going to pick it up. They don't have a camera angle. <laughs> and the commentators, so they're like, they're looking at the one camera angle where you can see his arms up. He puts his arm up. And then they go, oh, here's a better camera angle where you can't see anything. You literally can't see anything of what's going on. It's really, really bad. And it makes... The Sting and Main match look like Brett and Owen Hart at WrestleMania 10. <laughs> just, just in case you were worried about, you know, Paul Orndorff, he carried on wrestling until 2001, <laughs> and then came back and had a match in 2017. Oh my God! Why do they do it? Why do these guys do it? It's, it's, it's insane, isn't it? Yeah, I mean that this is really poor, isn't it? Let's be honest, this is really, really poor. There is cheers for Orndorff. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful they're cheering. It's, yeah. it's great. Mr. Iderful in all of his glory. Um, <laughs> the, the, the the bridge. So it's not even a bridge, but they pretend like it is a, supposed to be a bridge. Uh, it, effectively, he just he kind of just leans back and sort of, oh, it's just terrible. I can't even I can't even describe it. It's so bad. The You're right, the arm going up. It's not even clear that his, his shoulder is off of the mat. It's just, and to be honest, Paul Orndorff is barely straining to put his arm. He just basically lifts his arm as if he didn't give a fuck. And and you're like, yeah, that that, that that's right. He's got his arm up. That, that means his shoulders up. Well, not necessarily. And you're right. There's no camera. There's no camera view to show it because they haven't got one. So yeah, it's very very badly executed. The Renegade. I can see why they thought they could try and do this because if you if you accept, I guess that the Ultimate Warrior is shit. In terms of he's not he doesn't know the business he can't wrestle he's really bad then surely it should be quite easily replicable with anybody like if he, if you if he is really shit then surely you can just give someone who's got a relatively good physique and who's got the right energy for it and just 
push them out there and have them do it. But this guy hasn't got those things. Like, I feel I feel like they really miscast him. He's not a particularly impressive physical specimen. You know, when you compare him to the Armour Warrior, you need someone, if you're going to do this, at least get someone who's really muscular, who looks the part, but he doesn't. He'd been a wrestler for only three years by the point of this match. Um, and they're expecting him, I assume, because they're trying to rip off the Armour Warrior, they're hoping that this guy will go straight to the top. Doesn't make it, um, unsurprisingly. <laughs> In 1995, uh, old man, you'll like this. PWI ranked him number 245 on their fight to PWI 500. Yes, indeed. Uh, But we're still um, in 1999. Wilson, uh, his name is Richard Wilson, uh, actually uh, committed suicide with a self-inflicted gunshot. Oh, poor lad. I mean, ultimately, it couldn't have been very good for him. And ultimately just just not good at all. I guess that long term, they had some kind of plan to either turn the renegade heel and have them go up against Hogan because they're obviously managed by the same person or have them as some kind of super tag team or something. Uh, but it never got that far. What's strange about it is that you'd imagine they've got him in with Orndorff because Orndorff's an old hand. He's going to be able to get this guy through the match. That would be the thinking. Orndorff is not I haven't said that. He is in phenomenal shape. He's an absolutely tremendous shape. But he wasn't very good even when he was 29. He's not particularly good. And... Well, it feeds into what we've talked about like after the first match. It's just really badly done. Mm. We're not off to a good start, boys, I can't be honest. No, but it's, again, it's, those little details, isn't it? You know, it's it's yeah. not having the camera in the right position in order to pick mm. up on the story coming out of the match, which is that Orndorff effectively had his shoulder up. It's those little things that just they just don't get right. Oh, dear, WCW. Um, it's, all, it's all right, lads, because the next match coming up is an absolute barnstormer. Before we get to the next match, we have a, uh, a video vignette of Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan in some kind of cave with the father. And he gets sent a warrior to to join the Dungeon of Doom. And the warrior is Kamala. This is, well, what, this is something, certainly. Oh, it's amazing. I was like, this is amazing. It, it goes to show where, where, what, you know, piques my interest and what I like from a from a good old backstage vignette, but I tell you what, I want Kevin Sullivan. Sullivan. <laughs> Go on, Sullivan. I, I want Kevin Sullivan mincing around, chatting to a bloke dressed up like a rock in an unconvincing cave setting, and bringing out Kamala. Tremendous, absolutely phenomenal stuff. Loved it. Kamala, forty-five at this point. Yeah, not surprising. Right, and it's. I mean, I it's wrestling. You take it with a pinch of salt. I know we talk about it reasonably serious. The stuff that they try to portray as serious, we talk about it seriously. I don't even know what this is portrayed as. I don't know whether it's meant to be hokey and crap or whether it's serious. It goes on so long that I think it's meant to be serious. I mean, Kevin Sullivan is just Kevin Sullivan, but with some face paint really poorly applied. Because I can't really figure out what it's supposed to be, whether he's supposed to have, like, scales or what on his face. It's awful. And then they let Jim Duggan talk. Is that what you're doing to me? Yes, so Dean Oakland interviews Hacksaw Jim Duggan after we've seen this. He himself refers to himself as Hacksaw Duggan, which was his name more regularly when he was before WWE. He used to call himself Hacksaw Duggan. Duggan says he's making an announcement. No more Mr. Nice Guy says he'll strike down the Taskmaster and Kamala and prevail. A note on Kevin Sullivan here, because I'm pretty certain Kevin Sullivan was a key member, if not the head booker on the booking team. And this is clearly 
a, a hugely important personal thing that Kevin Sullivan's building, this Dungeon of Doom and the Taskmaster character, because it effectively is Hulk Hogan's main opponent for the entire like year from like 95 right through to mid 96 when he turns heel. So, oh man, I think they are treating this entirely seriously. They do absolutely believe in this thing and it is a key part of their presentation, which again shows me that no one's doing their job well. <laughs> That's the problem. No one's doing their job well. It's, I think, probably one of the worst things I've ever seen <laughs> watching wrestling. And I know we've had Miss NWO. That's just a segment stretched out over a whole show that's just really poorly done. Him. This is a genuine thing that they've put together. And to your point, Tinky, they drag this out as well. Does John Tenter join them? Yes. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Shark. Oh, that's right. You said it's the worst thing that you've watched in wrestling. I was about to say it's the worst thing I've seen with my eyes open. How about with your arms wide open? <laughs> oh, so I, I love this bit. I fucking love it. As, as, as you can tell. Do you want to hear the, who the members of the uh, Dungeon of Doom were? Do yes, we ever? The, the master, uh, I don't know who that is. The taskmaster, who's obviously Kevin Sullivan. Kamala, Lex Luger, the Yeti, uh, Jimmy Hart, apparently. Yeah. Uh, the shark, which is uh, John Tent, obviously. Vader, the Zodiac, who we see later on. Oh. Meng, the giant. Hugh Morris, old Hugh G-Rection, The Barbarian, thank God. Conan, Max, who we also see later on in the card as Max Muscle. Big Bubba, Big Ray Trailer, Big Ray Trisling. Braun the Leprechaun, who is Sergeant Budley Parker, also in his side. Is that the guy who does the power plant thing? He's yeah. really horrible to Louis through. Yeah. Yeah. One Man Gang. <laughs> uh, Zed Gangster, who is uh, Zeus. Zeus, yeah. From uh, from uh, the old, uh, what's it called? No Holds Barred. The Ultimate Solution. Sounds a bit third rate to me. It well, does. They, they, they actually originally were going to call them the Final Solution and had to change it when they realised that that was what. Oh, my God. Um, Lock Ness, who was Giant Haystacks. Giant Haystacks, yeah. yeah. And then, <laughs> last but not least, a bit of an odd addition. Jacqueline. Seems like a strange, <laughs> strange member of there. Very Just odd. Chuck her in. Chuck her in. Sorry. I <laughs> cannot believe how many members they had and how long they must have tried this out for. Well, they what? also had, they've also, there's also a smaller section, which is members of the independent circuit. So they must have carried this on the indies after WCW. Oh. Kevin Sullivan, The Wall, who I imagine is a tremendous worker. In fact, he's there. Gangrel. <laughs> The wall is um, was in WCW later on um, right. in 2000. He was the um, corner man of Alex Wright, who by this point had become called Berlin. So it was Berlin yeah. and the wall. That's, oh, very good. Very <laughs> good. <laughs> Guess who was booking WCW at that time? <laughs> yeah, no, fuck me. Um, Gangrel, Luna Vachon, Psycho Sam Dudley, whoever that is, and someone called Hard Rock Ken Sweeney. It's a great name. Hard Rock Ken Sweeney, the latest addition to the New England Hall of Fame, no doubt about it. They get the giant, don't they? Yes. I'm glad Tommy ran through that list of absolute legends. So they say that they saw a giant man talking to Hulk Hogan, which I assume is the giant. Why is he talking to Hulk Hogan? (laughs) Why, Why is he talking to him? Why isn't he... Oh, we saw this giant man. He was just watching Hogan from afar. That's not much better, I grant you. But why is he talking to him? What are they, mates? Because Hogan does the Harley Davidson thing, doesn't he? And they mentioned that. And they're like, oh, yeah. And then we saw him talking to him. 
saying, stop being shit. Stop <laughs> being shit. Well, you, you know the, the point you were making about how many people are in it and therefore how long this must have gone. Don't forget, though, that they are just pissing away some of this talent yeah. to, in, in opening matches. It basically their first match back in a pay-per-view after relaunching their character. So they burn through a load of people. There's a match in early 96 where I think Hogan and Savage fight about 10 of them at the same time in a cage match. And you're talking about like giant haystacks, the giant, you know, massive people, like really big guys. And they just they just beat them all. I think Zed Gangster's in there as well. Or Z Gangster, of course, as he would have been known in America. Um the Jimmy Hart thing, because you said he's in the he's in the Dungeon of Doom briefly. So that and we're going way ahead of ourselves, but fuck it, let's, let's not mess around. That happens when Hogan loses the title after this point in time. So at Halloween Havoc this year, he loses the belt to the Giant, and in the process of that match, Jimmy Hart turns on Hogan, and Hogan loses by disqualification, loses the belt at the same time. And afterwards, Jimmy Hart reveals that when he put the contract together for the match, he put a clause in there which meant that Hogan would lose if he got disqualified. He'd lose the title. So that's how they got the belt off of the Hogan, because they weren't interested in him being pinned by anybody, you can imagine. And that's how they got around it. And yeah, I don't really know how that ended up, because I can't imagine Jimmy Hart was a good bedfellow for these for these guys. Yeah. Um, or Lex Luger, in fairness, regardless of what you think well, of Lex. When Tommy said that Lex Luger was in it, I was like, the same guy who turned up in that incredible shirt on the first episode of Nitro. Yeah, I mean, he came in as a babyface, and within about a month, he turned heel and joined the Dungeon of Doom. And this is what I'm talking about. When I was watching those first sort of 10 episodes or so of Nitro, I'm like, this makes no fucking sense. No one's thinking about any of this. They're just chucking it against the wall. It's ridiculous. As I say, I just think they got really lucky. I think that's what's yeah. happened here is in the main, they just got really lucky. We've seen so far, I think, some good stuff and in particular, one very good show. But that was in the main when WCW were still trying to do what they were doing before Bischoff came along. Mm-hmm. After Bischoff comes along, it's it's, it's very and, it, and he really imprints his view of what wrestling is. It, it's not it's not particularly good. On that note, let's take a little break and we'll come back and talk about the rest of the show in just a moment. Jimmy Hart, bring him in. WCW heavyweight champion of the world, Hulk Hogan. Check it out. And NBA superstar Dennis Rodman. Dennis, the last time I saw you was at the airport in Detroit. That's the last time you go ever see me at the airport in Detroit, baby. Brother me, Gene, you know what the deal is, big dude. Me and Rod the Bod, we were riding Harley Davidson's brother up and down Pacific Coast Highway, brother, all through the straddle of the night, brother, looking for somebody to bust up, dude. You know, we heard Vader's big mouth, how he's lived around the area, how he lived in the inner city, brother. That's a bunch of, <coughs> brother, Vader ain't nowhere around the place, man. Take it easy, big man. Right now, we got Vader set up for the kill. We got the lambs led to slaughter, brother, with hundreds of thousands of Hulkamaniacs out there, dude. We're going to make Woodstock look like a backyard barbecue, brother. We got all the beautiful babes of Baywatch to distract Vader, man. We got the steel cage plowed in the sand, brother. I've got the killer whites out in the Pacific Ocean waiting, brother, when I press his filthy, stinky, war-infested body over my head, brother. As I launch him over the top of the cage, the sharks are going to be there to rip and tear his body limb from limb. But you know something, Mean Gene? Rod the Bod, 
Rodney Mann is the man that's got the nastiest attitude, brother, in the NBA. And after he trains, after he says his prayers, and after he eats his vitamins, brother, he does whatever he wants to do. And even though we got a steel cage out there, dudes, we know what happens around the WCW, brother. So I strategically paced the big brother right outside the door. And if anybody tries to come down and get in my face or interfere in that cage. Rod the bot, tell him what's gonna go down, brother. Vader, anyone can do that cage. Your head is fast, big man, fast. You know what I'm saying, brother? Rod the bot will take their face and he will give them a flory dory on the side of that cage. He'll turn their face into hamburger meat, brother. And with Jimmy Hart, Rod the Bod, the baddest dude around I know, and Hulk Hogan, and with the largest arms in the world, pumped in all the new veins pumping out of my tries. What are you going to do when the power of Hulkamania destroys you? What's he going to do, brother? What you going to do, big man? Jimmy Hart, I thank you. I don't mind telling you, if anything happens out there to Hogan, I'm certain with the presence of Dennis Rodman, at the door, he'll rebound. Tony, Bobby, gentlemen, let's get back to you. Right then, welcome back. Now, next up, we've got a match. We did briefly touch upon it before we went away, but uh, now we can properly talk about it. It sees Hacksaw Jim Duggan against Kamala. This one is mercifully short at six minutes in length and ends when Zodiac interferes and hits Duggan with Kamala's wooden mask to allow Kamala to get the pinfall and the victory. Tom, why don't you give us your thoughts on this absolute classic? You knew it was going to be a chain wrestling, mat-based, absolute classic of a match. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't. The highlight, if I'm being honest, of the entire match is Jim Duggan's music. Because even though we love his WWF music, his music is the re-elect mayor of Goldie Wilson and Hell Valley mayor uh, music from Back to the Future, which must have been be some kind of pageantry, you know, American political music. But I like that nonetheless. I haven't really got many notes on this because the match is shit. Um, but at the beginning of it, Duggan is desperate to hit Kamala with a two by four. Kamala puts the shittest bear hug on <laughs> Duggan I've ever seen. He's literally just, it's its not even a bear hug. It's more of a bear cuddle. And Duggan isn't selling it either. He's just standing there looking relaxed in this <laughs> lovely warm embrace by Kamala. And then the literally, my next note is Zodiac hits Duggan to interfere with Kamala's mask and Kamala wins. And then my, my summary is, crap, but it was never going to be good. So in a weird way, it met my expectations, and I was quite happy with it. I mean, we talked about Heenan and Oakland phoning in. These lads take it to another... These lads are phoning it in so much, they're almost rolling out the towels on the beach <laughs> and having a beer. I mean, Tom's point about the bear hug is something that I had noted down. They're just leaning on each other, I think. I think they're just like, you know what, we're pretty senior workers it's not good it's not it's never going to be good to be fair to them as i said they phone it in and the main problem that you've got with the whole thing is that they are setting up the um dungeon of doom as being a threat to hulkamania they're going to try and kill hulkamania but they can't beat duggan without interference from ed leslie and kamala's pants when he covers him because he's showing off everything it's just bad and i don't think it's the lad's fault I think they're just not very good anyway. It's badly done. It feeds into everything that's come to this point for this whole little segment. 
it's just not good. Yeah, the match is not good. It was never going to be good, but this is about still a, still towards the lower end of what I was expecting. It's just really bad. <laughs> but he's, I get it's just the thing where like look at look at what you had about a year ago. We watched Spring Stampede and you had Steve Austin versus the Great Muta on that show. Mm. Here you've got Kamala versus Jim Duggan. Now I know that's not a particularly fair equivalent because you could instead swap out for example, Sting and Meng, who are in the US title match, which is what Austin and Great Moot was for. But you could swap out any matches on this show for any match on that Spring Stampede show the year before and be like, better, that's better, that's better. The talent they've got. So, as you said, Brutus Beefcake, Ed Leslie interferes in this match. You've already got Kamala, you've already got Jim Duggan. We've already seen bloody Paul Orndorff at about 55 years old. We've got the Renegade, who is is barely trained to be a wrestler. And you compare it with what you had... Again, just a year ago, like flipping out. What have you done? I know on Ed Leslie, this is something I have never, ever understood with wrestling. So he is playing a completely different character to Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Why is he still wearing his beefcake get up? <laughs> I cannot. I It frustrates me so much when wrestlers do this. It's, well, it's I, just more more example of WCW just not looking at the little details. Mm. Well, it's it's one of those things as well. Like we talk about the the XWWF guys that that came in, but there are people that have got genuine genuine value in there. Despite the fact that Hogan's not very good at this point, Hogan's there, Macho's there. They're they're gen, genuine like stars. You can see why they bring across people like, well, obviously Hall and Nash at the time, and, and you know later on in the year and or the following year, and you can see why they bring in people like. You know, even people like Perfect and people who are like good, decent hands in the ring, even though he's not the best of always. Why the fuck are you bringing over Duggan? Yeah. And, and I know Kamala, it's hard to paint Kamala necessarily as a WWF guy, but we know him because of his, his brief run in WWF. But why are you bringing over the likes of Kamala to, to this? You know what I mean? And, mm. and subjecting us to this. Why? <laughs> maybe, they're, maybe they're doing it because they know that the three of us are WWF guys. We're like, do you know what? We'll take him off your hands. We'll give you lads yeah. a break. And do you know who he, do you know who he, who he defeated for the US Championship? Steve Austin. In five seconds. Yeah. I think Bischoff's strategy appears to be here. We will attract all the fans of WWF from the early 90s and late 80s and by giving them the same product again. So we have got Hogan. We have got Savage. So we've got their big two stars. We, we've trying to recreate the Ultimate Warrior, which is the third big star of the of the promotion. We can combine that with the likes of Jim Duggan and Kamala. And, you know, later on, obviously, Earthquake comes over. We've got the Nasty Boys. We've got Road Warrior Hawk on the show. We can basically just recreate WWF from three or four, five years previous and sell it back to them once more and get them away from watching the WWF, which is no longer including any of these guys because they've moved on to a new generation. So that appears to be the strategy. But, you know, it doesn't make for very good tele- for very good matches or television for that matter. No, I'll be honest, when I was watching this, starting to get a bit fed up to this point, and we've done a few shows where I've been, I bit got bored, and there have been a few where I've been properly on the edge of my seat, as we mentioned, Spring Stampede 94, love that. This is, like, it's so nonsensical that it's starting to get on me tits a bit, to be honest. Well... Things are about to get better because Gene Oakland next interviews Randy Macho Man Savage and he talks about the lifeguard match that he has coming up with Ric Flair. We don't know much about the concept of the match mm. still, but there's obviously clearly some uh, bad blood between Savage and Flair. The Slim Jim thing didn't happen in WWF, did it? It did. It originally had yeah. it in WWF. But not, it, I don't think they went as mad for it as they did in WCW, did they? 
he ramped up definitely yeah because it's really good for it i'm pretty sure that at this point matchman is wearing a tremendous slim jim hat he is which is which is phenomenal um it's it's kind of standard fare from from matter and gene as you as you'd expect but i just think it was at this point where i was like oh there's a lot of slim jim chat and it seemed to ramp up again from this point because at the beginning, I don't remember, or I wasn't aware of it being rammed down our throat as much. And I've had a Slim Jim before. I prefer pepperami myself. I don't really like pepperami that much, but it's a, it's just a bit on the nose. It gets very bit on the nose, and then it stays on the nose and builds a house <laughs> and lives there. I assumed, when they were talking about Slim Jims, no realized that Duggan was on the show. I assumed they meant him. <laughs> and then I saw Duggan, and I was like, they don't mean him. Because with the greatest respect, he's not Slim Jim. Imagine, Slim. imagine if it was. Imagine if they decided to go with Hacks or Jim Duggan instead of Ratchima, and he's running around the ring with a massive Slim Jim rather than his two mobile ones and people with it. And because it's the same Slim Jim that he's had for ages, it's all mouldy, it's all flies. <laughs> I imagine that they've missed the trick there. They've missed the trick. That's tremendous. This is a classic again example, actually, of where the kind of thing Vince McMahon. The, the memory or the mindset he's got because there are certain moments that seem to change Vince McMahon's attitude towards things and Savage taking the Slim Jim contract with him to WCW is one of those things clearly Vince McMahon allowed Savage to do this deal with Slim Jim himself as opposed to just taking over the deal and and he probably didn't think that that was even something worthwhile doing before Savage went across to WCW but of course when he went to WCW Savage didn't just take him and his name brand, but took the money that Slim Jim brought with it as well as part of that commercial deal. And since then, lo and behold, Vince McMahon doesn't let anybody do any sponsorship deals outside of the WWF. With the exception of Rey Mysterio with that beer company. That's true. And the fact that he lets Brock Lesnar have adverts on his on his shorts. Yes. Yeah, so Brock Lesnar will come to that in a minute. I think the Rey Mysterio one, though, I think I guarantee WWF were part of that deal. It was endorsed by them and they've kind of got part of the contract as well. So I don't think that's just Rey Mysterio on his own. Whereas we know with Savage, because he moved with it, Slim Jim moved with him, that it was the deal was with him rather than with WWF. Lesnar's obviously a a different case, a special case, but it's just interesting because it's one of those things where Vince McMahon clearly remembers and then goes, right, from now on, this is my policy. Yeah. So next up we get, uh, well, before we get the next match, we have um, a kid giving the Diamond Doll some flowers. But Diamond Dallas Page doesn't like it and snatches them away. So we've got another one of those man with his valet who doesn't like the attention the valet's getting storylines. Before Dallas Page's match with Dave Sullivan, which is a four and a half minute match, which ends when um, Dave Sullivan becomes distracted by Max Muscle, who's also at the ringside, ringside with Diamond Dallas Page. And that allows Page to hit a diamond cutter for the win. Um, old man, your face is already showing a level of disgust that most people don't usually experience. So let's go to you. Dave Sullivan. So I'm like, I have no, like, no idea who this man is. Dave Sullivan is the dyslexic brother of Kevin Sullivan. Yeah. Which is one, why? Don't really understand. And two, I mean, this is the mid 90s. It's not. These, like, things weren't really that well known, I don't think, at this point. How do you, if you are going to portray that as a character, how, how do you, what, what do you, <laughs> I just didn't, I, I, I understand. And then I, then I, and then I got that on my head and I watched the match. And, and I like DDP. Dave Sullivan, at this point, 
is significantly better than DTP, I think. And I can't believe I'm actually going to say this when he walked down to the ring, but Dave Sullivan carries this match. Now, that is very much reflective of the quality of the match because it's not very good. It lasts four minutes and it still manages to be horrible. But there is at least a story in this in that Dave is after the Diamond Doll. Now, that kind of, I get a problem with that, but Dave kind of ruins this by the whacking DDP right at the start with the flowers that he'd probably spent, he probably spent a good $25, $30 on those roses from the Diamond Doll. He hits DDP with them. Doesn't make any sense. Well, well, old man, how you portray a dyslexic wrestler is simply by having him spell his name wrong on the back of his tights. Oh, my God. I didn't even notice this. So on the back of his tights, it says Evad. Oh, <laughs> oh, no. And, no, and, that, no, no. and that is the extent to which you portray a dyslexic wrestler. That's awful. But the, the thing is, though, how how is being dyslexic a hindrance to you if you're a wrestler? Mm. <laughs> it makes no sense. It's that. Um, I think so. Oh, sorry. Sorry, just before you get onto this, there's a very important point that I wanted to make about DDP as well. So DDP had, I've uh, heard him interviewed a few times, right? He, I believe it will probably be beyond this point. He cannot read beyond the age of about a five-year-old, he says. He said this in loading. So that was another thing that really troubled me in this is that you've well like, don't fuck just fuck off with the whole dyslexia why are you doing this like it doesn't serve any purpose at all wrestling has had many many gimmicks that we will all look back on and go that is horrible but you did something with it it doesn't make it right but you did something this doesn't make any sense and he's fighting a man who legitimately by his own admission can barely read at this point as well and like yeah it's uh, horrible i think it's just a case of nobody understanding what dyslexia was and also i think for example if you knew what dyslexia was you'd knew you'd know that unless someone brought it up there's no way you'd know someone was dyslexic just because Mm. of the way they wrestled (laughs) yeah (laughs) Um, and so i think this is an attempt for them to do eugene 10 years before eugene came along i think that's what this is but they don't understand what dyslexia is, so they present it as though it's some kind of thing that would preclude them from being able to operate ordinarily from the, in their day-to-day life without, you know, having difficulty. And it, it's just ignorant. Also, as you say, what, what, how would, how does this work? What does this even mean? It's not good. I think I must have zoned out during this, so I've got four notes, and all of them have been covered, and I, I can't remember anything about this. I'm sorry, boys. I got no insight onto this at all, other than what you just said. <laughs> they, they, it, it completely passed me by, and I don't think I'd come to until about halfway through the next match, <laughs> based on my notes and my ba- memory of watching it. Basically, Tom slipped into a coma during this. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I can completely understand this because I said that the uh, previous match, well, that one of the previous matches was a long six minutes. This is a long four minutes. Well, I bet you weren't expecting that four matches in after watching that first match between Sting and Meng, that that would be your favourite match so far. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, not even close either. Yeah. Like, no. n- nothing has reached that. So I won't say drizzling shakes, that's not fair. But it's definitely a bit looser than you'd expect. All, all I've got to say at the moment is thank God it's at the beach. Yeah. Because yes. at the moment, that's all it's got to go for. Because if this was in a standard arena... This would be unwatchable. 
So next up, Gene Oakland interviews Sensational Sherry and Harlem Heat. Uh, Sherry says that it doesn't matter what the other teams uh, in the match that they're going to face do. I didn't take any more notes because I think, <laughs> to be honest, I am in the place where you guys were during the last match, which is I'm, I'm struggling to stay awake. I'm struggling for the will to live at this point. Mm. So I haven't really taken a huge amount of notes on this one. No, I haven't either. But what I will say is there are people on the beach with quad bike on quad bikes, which I quite enjoyed. Mm. It's whizzing past in the background. <laughs> and yeah, all I've got is that there's there's nothing really about this promo that I enjoyed. Other than the fact that Harlem Heat, they're so clearly not from Harlem based on their accents. Enjoy <laughs> me just even to start alone. They're clearly from Texas. And they've got mat- great matching do-rags on. And it's probably the second best do-rag wearing until well, Vincent Mann shaves his head at WrestleMania 23. <laughs> the concept of Harlem Heat being from Harlem is like Harlem in particular at this point has a reputation of being very tough. So you have them wear purple tights purple little tops that have like something over the shoulder going down into the middle kind of look like a um kind of not a million miles away from what demolition were in terms of the little little ring in the middle that's connected and they've got these terrible flames on so they're not looking very tough <laughs> and to tom's point they're clearly not from harlem so i ran through a couple of a uh, couple of different names so if they were from, <laughs> so if they were from philadelphia the philadelphia flames Nice. They're from Washington, the Washington Warmth. And obviously, <laughs> they are from Houston, so it's the Houston Humidity. <laughs> oh, lovely. And I suppose no one likes, no one likes humidity, so they would no. be the perfect heel. Why they didn't just call them Houston? <laughs> I, I don't even thought about that. Sensational Sherry as well is working her little socks off, but I get the feeling that she might be stood around that phone that the other lads are on. To be honest, I think she might be about to dial into line four or five. I can't remember how many people are phoning it in to this point. <laughs> do you know what I reckon? She's, I don't reckon she's phoning it in. I reckon she's paging it in. <laughs> so I wanted to go into something about Harlem Heat because we haven't we haven't really seen Harlem Heat in a match before. No. Um, just to give you some f- a flavour of how they were almost originally brought in to WWE. Oh, I know that. I've heard this. Oh. So they're originally. <laughs> They originally, <laughs> so originally the, the awkward laugh about he's just about to say something awful. It's got my interest very much piqued. So they were originally supposed to be a pair of wrestling slaves, one in a card game by guess who? Or oh, Colonel Bobby Parker wearing his. He wouldn't do that. Well, well, wearing his sort of slave sort of owner costume as well, effectively. Yeah, uh, they ended up changing that. <laughs> Because it was a bit, it was a bit and, off, really. And their names were Cole and Lash. Yes. Oh my God! You know what? That is the worst thing I have ever heard to do with yeah. a wrestling gimmick. So suddenly, the Dungeon of Doom has got fuck all on that. That's just nonsense. That is my word. Yeah. So yeah, that that was what they were originally going to be coming in as, but luckily they changed it before they debuted, so it's all right. It didn't actually happen, but uh, that was the original idea. Uh, and again, this was on Bischoff's watch, so I'm, you know, hopefully it was Bischoff himself who stepped in and said, no, let's not do that. Otherwise, well, I don't know. I don't really matter who it was. It's it's just crazy. So anyway, yeah, I just thought I'd um, give you that little piece of information before we move on. The match itself is a triangle match which is effectively a triple threat where you actually have to tag in, though, which I don't mind. I don't mind this so much. This would have been before 
triple threat matches existed in WWF as well. I don't think they really did three-way matches back in the, no. in the in this sort of time. It's for the WWE Tag Team titles, which the Harlem Heat hold, and it is against the Nasty Boys and the Blue Bloods. The match itself goes for 13 minutes, and it ends when? So this is a complicated one. Let me let me quickly revisit my vote my notes before we go into this. So Booker T is backdropped onto Stephen Regal, as he was known then, um, by one of the nasty boys. Then Sags sits on Booker T, who is on top of Regal, and the ref counts the pin. But because obviously Booker T is on a different team to Regal, Booker T is the one who is deemed to have pinned Regal and Harlem Heat retain the belts. I have a little note here as well after this match, which is that Tony Schiavone is effectively just having a laughter in the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, you said it lasts for 13 minutes, Tinky. 10 minutes of Bobby Heenan going, I don't know anymore. Yeah. <laughs> really, really heavily putting over, putting over the fact that he doesn't understand what's going on, nor does he care. The match in itself takes ages to start. There's like a really long period of just like nothing happening. It's it's really crap. Again, so I again I think I I think I came to about like ten minutes into this match, um because I did note there it's a shame there aren't more times that Booker T and Regal are in the in the match because they're yeah. the only two out of the out of the six people that can work a lick in the slightest and there's only a few little exchanges. Hang on, we've established now that we're fans of Mr. Eaton, so let's not let's not get upset with uh, Mr. Eaton. Is that Bo- is that Bobby Eaton? It is indeed. Yeah. Oh my God, he looks awful. Well, he's he's a munter. We've we've established this early. <laughs> Yeah, but he ain't got his hair. He's, that's, that can't be Bobby Eaton. It is. Hey, someone not having their hair doesn't make them ugly. <laughs> hey, <laughs> hang on, he, he didn't. No, it doesn't make them look awful. He's got his hair. He's just he's just tied back. That's all. Okay, right. I take back what I said. But in that match, without realizing it was Bobby Eaton, I don't think he did his best work. I think we can put it out there. And to be perfectly honest, as I said, I was delirious for about 10 minutes of this match. So I can't <laughs> really remember it anyway. So. But it's a shame there aren't more times that Booker T and Regal are in the ring at the same time. When they are, it's pretty good. You know, they've got pretty good in psychology. And his and his and look, Booker T's, at the time, his kind of leg lariat, big, was it the Harlem Psychic? Is that what he does? The one where he like, jumps up and like effectively clotheslines someone with his leg. Looks really impressive. Um, and what I found in this match, and it was, it was this match where I really kind of, struggled a little bit with the fact that it's it's an outside arena with a crowd as you kind of said earlier Tinky that don't really know who anyone is mm. so I thought it was at this point where I, th- I was like I think the nasty boys are quite over as baby faces or popular should I say but it was hard to tell I really struggled to read the crowd at this match what it feeds into my perspective which is that we already know that WWE is just bringing in all the old WWF guys they, we know that the two main matches have got Savage and Hogan in them and so I wouldn't. And, and we also know that this crowd are at best casual viewers of wrestling. Mm-hmm. So it's likely that they like the nasty boys because they knew who they were. I think the best thing about it is that Bobby and his noted as being from Stoke. Yes, yeah, Stoke on Trent, they say. Yeah, which is lovely. <laughs> so I think that might have been why I just didn't think at all that it was Bobby and from the old Midnight oh. Express. They um, faked me. They worked me. They did. They weren't too bloody hard. Um, the Nasty Boys music is pretty good. Quite enjoyed that. Um, the bit that Tommy was saying about where it takes ages to get going, they're doing this coin toss thing where effectively each team has a coin. They toss it. And obviously, whoever, whichever two teams get the same start the match. But what if they all got the same? They obviously didn't think about that. So it goes on. I mean, considering they're tossing coins, it goes on for a bloody long time because I've tossed coins to 
be fair, I could have tossed myself off in the time that it takes them to bloody toss these coins. In fairness to these lads, they put in a decent shift, but no one seems to know what the bleeding net they're doing. <laughs> and I think it starts with that coin toss. And they don't know how to get any drama going. It's effectively what you've got is you've got three tag matches going on where they all just work someone over in their corner and they do that for 13 minutes and then you get the terrible terrible finish not good not good and long as well it felt incredibly long i think there's probably a good match involving the two teams that aren't the nasty boys in here and i buy them to try to do something different like a triangle match and they're like oh it's never been done before i like that but also when they said it's never been done before and i saw that the nasty boys were involved I thought it's probably not going to be the best effort. It didn't feel long, this match. It just felt very untidy, very messy. To your point, old man, you're right. They just don't seem to know what they're supposed to be doing or what's next or what they've got planned. And you're right. It starts with the coin toss because I'm like, why? You don't need to do this legitimately. There's absolutely no need to do this legitimately. Just flick the coins and then whatever start you want to have, just say they were the ones who got heads and move on. Mm. But instead, they seem to want to do it legitimately. And if they are doing it legitimately, then that says to me that they hadn't planned ahead of time who would start, which is ridiculous. Yeah. doesn't make any sense. So it just feels like, yes, nobody's had any conversations about what they're going to do before this match. They've just gone out there and then presented this, which sort of battles through all the all the untidiness to to have a an okay match some bits of it that are right but it's so messy and the end i quite i quite like the idea of the end like i quite like the idea that ordinarily in a normal tag match um the nasty boys would have been able to pin both their opponents and get the victory and maybe they didn't think about the consequence of doing that in this kind of match where both members of the people they're being pinned are different team members but they don't execute it very well at all. And Booker T is barely on top of Regal when they actually pin him. Mm. So it just looks it looks looks a bit rubbish. I need to apologise to the beautiful Bobby for my not realising who he was. Um, and I read the thing, and I'm, I remember hearing um, Stone Cold Steve Austin saying this once, but this is this is worth bringing up again. I guess Bobby Eaton. So on the on it from his Wikipedia page, Jim Cornette and Sean Waltman noted that Eaton would regularly travel with an extra suitcase filled with toiletries, socks, and other oft-forgotten items that he'd give to anybody that needed them. How sweet is that? Yeah. Lovely, isn't it? Go on, Bobby, and you fucking hero. The, it's interesting that they kayfabed you this, in, in this instance. Yeah. He's presented as Robert Eaton. How did I not figure that out? <laughs> well, that, well, that was my point, is that, again, it goes to me to the point about WCW in the little details. They just don't, they don't seem to care about. In WWF, they've repackaged a hell of a number, hell of a lot of different people but i actually think that when i was young i didn't know that papa shango and Kama were the same person i didn't didn't know like i you, you might have been able to guess they were quite similar but i didn't know until someone told me oh that's papa shango by the way mm-hmm. um here they don't make no they make no attempt to hide <laughs> that they've repackaged people it's it's strange it's really strange and like if you've been watching WCW for the previous three or four years and you've seen Bobby Eaton in the Midnight Express, a Southern based tag team, and then suddenly he's an Englishman from Stoke on Trent. Now, it might be that they're trying to be funny about it, but I don't give them enough credit to be funny about it, quite frankly. So the story of the Blue Bloods is that like basically I think Willie uh, Steve Regal took him on as like an apprentice. So it says, with a series of vignettes followed in which Regal educated Eaton on how to be a man of class and sophistication. 
I see. Yeah, it doesn't say anything about where he turns his place of birth from uh. fucking wherever it is he's from, North Carolina to uh, to Stoke-on-Trent. It's a very, unless, again, like you said, thinking unless they're doing it as a joke, which it seems out of character because that seems to have required some thoughts. Mm. Yeah. I mean, just before we move on, just a quick note on Regal's face selling. Tremendous. Oh. His selling is phenomenal. Go on, there's a, Regal. There's a couple of moments in this where I'm not sure he's actually selling because there's one bit where he himself does a backhanded slap to Booker T, which looks like it comes tremendously tight. But there's also then a bit where I think it's Brian Nobbs maybe um, hits Regal in the face and it looks like he properly just punches him straight in the face. It's pretty stiff, some of this stuff, which is probably another reason why it was really messy because they're probably all like concussed whilst they're wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a bit, it's a bit mad. So the next bit of the show is Gene Oakland again. We get a lot of Gene Oakland in his uh, in his polo shirt during this one. Gene Oakland interviews Sherry Martel in the post-match and um, along with Harlem Heat. Oakland suggests that the Harlem Heat were lucky to have won the match. He also raises the fact that earlier on main event, Bunkhouse Buck, favourite from Spring Stampede 94, and Dick Slater won a match to earn a title shot at the tag uh, champions. They then say they are not closet champions and will face anybody. (laughs) Not really sure what a closet champion is, I'm afraid. They're certainly not hiding the fact that they're champions. No. No. After that interview... We go back to the commentary team. We do. Oh, no, Bobby Heenan's sat on a chair like AC Slater from Saved by the Bell. Yes. Really <laughs> which I, weird. Just great. <laughs> yes, indeed. And they explain that up next is the lifeguard match. And they say that effectively it's just a lumberjack match. And it's happening because of a previous contest between the two at the Great American Bash where Flair used a lot of stalling tactics where he would stand outside the ring and try to rest, which actually is entirely consistent with a lot of matches we've seen in WCW in the past, certainly from the Great American Bash 1990. We suggested that happened an awful lot. Long project matches I didn't ever really enjoy, but it's at least it's a reason for it to be happening. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. It, is, it does make sense. As you say, like as I said about Tony Schiavone seeming to have a laughter in this show, like he's got Bobby Heenan there who is... is I mean, he's, he's phoning it in so much that he's running up a heck of a bill. I mean, it is just ridiculous. And Shavoni's doing his best, but at the same time, he's not letting it get on top of him that no one else seems to care about how shit some of this stuff is. And so he's just sort of laughing off some of the stuff that Bobby Heenan says, and he's moving on, he's doing his best. He, for me, was keeping me going through the show, Tony Shavoni. He really was. There's a um, bit which we'll come to in a minute, but I just want to make sure I get this out there. Part of everything you said there is sorry. But from one moment where he absolutely cracks and it's when the cast of Baywatch comes in, the cast of Baywatch in inverted commas comes into the ring and it cuts back to the commentary <laughs> and uh, the, the commentary shack, we'll call it. Yeah, com- yeah the commentary shack. And he's um, uh, Bobby Heenan is stood on the table trying to get a peek at the Baywatch cast and Tony yeah. Friends is gone. He's just done. He's absolutely just spent. He's laughing so hard. He's having a lovely time. But then, like you said, Tinky, Back to business. Before they come out, we get Gene Oakland with Ric Flair for another interview. So Gene Oakland is really having a lot to do. And he's not working particularly hard, but he's he's got a lot of it on. <laughs> Flair then talks about how Elizabeth went wild for him. Oakland asks if she went to Space Mountain, which Ric yeah. Flair confirms that, he, that she certainly did and that he knocked her off her feet. He says he slapped Savage's father at some point in the past because he got in his way. Um, and then he says he's about to go out there and drive everyone wild, as he always does. Any thoughts on Flair's promo? Considering all the 
stuff that I said about, I thought it's just pretty decent, to be honest. As someone who didn't really have a clue why they were fighting, I got all the information in this promo. It set Flair definitively as the heel. Lovely old job. Yeah, it's, it's your standard Flair fare, isn't it, for, for, a lot, for a large part of it. But he, as, as to what old man said, he does a decent job at, at telling you why it's happening and why they've yeah. got beef. And that's all you really want. In this stage that's in the game. exactly it. I'm just glad there's some fucking storyline. That's what I'm happy about. I'm just like, come on, let's have that fucking storyline, even if it's flimsy. Wait a minute, are you suggesting? Are you are you are you just ignoring all of the epic storytelling going on with Kevin Sullivan, the Taskmaster, <laughs> and his uh, and it, and the old man who he calls father? I mean, come on, sort your life out, old man. <laughs> um, so the lifeguards come to the ring, apparently from Baywatch. Not though, is it? <laughs> the camera then catches, as you said, Bobby Heenan trying to get a good look at them all as Tony Schiavone tells him to stand down from the chair and the cameras because the cameras can see what he's doing. So, yeah, bit of a fun moment between Schiavone yeah. and Heenan then. So then when we go to the ring after we've seen Bobby Heenan looking, trying to look, get, a, get a look, suddenly all the wrestlers have appeared at ringside. And now I understand that it is quite legitimately just a lumberjack yeah. match. The match itself goes for 14 minutes. And it ends when Savage, having hit a couple of double axe handles, and then hits the elbow drop off the top rope for the pin to take victory. Tom, your thoughts on this one? For a start, could they not have had the wrestlers in lifeguard outfits? That would be quite entertaining, yeah. especially yeah. especially Arn Anderson. Lovely, lovely, <laughs> such big, big homie Arn in a, in a lifeguard <laughs> costume would have been quite funny. Especially a female's lifeguard costume. <laughs> bollocks hanging out the side. <laughs> I've got to give a shout out to Savage's WCW music, which is still yeah. Land of Hope and Glory or whatever the song's actually called. It was played on a guitar and it is just face melting. This, you thought people are getting sunburned. They're getting burnt from this <laughs> fire coming out of the guitar. It's amazing. And then what I did like is so I'm getting tied into the old Slim Jims. Matchman comes in with a bunch of Slim Jims in his hand, yeah. chucking them out to the crowd. There you go, lads. Call yourself out with a nice beefy sausage thing for me it was was the best match up till this point not hard admittedly but this is some some good intensity at the beginning from from uh from matcha man you know again like they actually want to fight you know which you quite often don't get they talk quite a lot about sand getting in the ring so there's a few times when matcha man ends up off the ring and then off the paddy into mm. the sand and i did think to myself oh that's not happy horrible wouldn't it and sand all in your crevices while you're trying to have a wrestling yeah. match it'd be disgusting but Savage throws Flair over the top rope. Don't get disqualified. And Flair does the same to Savage. Don't get DQ'd. And about 10 minutes into the match, Savage's bold patch really starts to show. <laughs> and it's pretty sad. It was always kind of there in WWF. But it starts to really... Because his hair is so dark and so thick, apart from that bit. Mm-hmm. It looks like a little bird's nest in his head or something like that. It's, it's pretty sad. Um, I love the fact that Savage's dad is in the crowd. Show off. Yes. Proper dad, proper dad behaviour there. And do you know what? I, again, I think I still was in a bit of a coma, to be honest, because my notes are absolutely nonsensical. Um, <laughs> I have written, like, I think we discussed the way that people like Eddie Grower and Chris Benoit, like, really, like, attack the mat when they're selling. Angle as well as another one, when they're, when they're selling. And Savage does the exact same. Savage's kind of, like, technical work is, is absolutely amazing, but his, his psychology in the ring is amazing. For example, like, when he does... Like when he hits people with the double axe handle off the top rope, he always lands on his knees. He kind of lands on his feet and falls to his knees, like really showing like that he's put everything that he can into that single move. And it's just brilliant. In terms of like from the flair perspective, it's again, basically your standard flair match 
you're not going to get anything particularly groundbreaking out of it. It's just, it's just a decent match. They do make a decent use out of the lumberjacks, and they actually there they they serve their purpose in the match, which is effectively to get the the person back in the ring. But what I find a bit odd about it, and I haven't seen that many lumberjack matches, if I'm being honest, but I'm surprised that that nothing really happens with the lumberjacks outside either. There's no like skirmish to take that opportunity to continue any sort of. And let's face it, all the lumberjacks that are outside are the lumber are people who have been in matches with each other. So mm. it would make the opportunity to like further a storyline with someone in that. But that that's about it really. It was it was the best match so far of the night. But there's still nothing really for me to think is great, especially considering that I really rate the match they have at WrestleMania 8, and it's nothing compared to that. So we had this issue with Lex Luger at Slambury 2000, where he's in no rush. Ric Flair has just told everybody in his promo, he's done a good job, as we said, telling the story. So he has not only slapped Father Savage, but he's evidently had a little bit of sex with Randy's wife. But it's all right, because Randy's coming down. He hugs his dad, as Tom says, shirtless dad, lovely old job. That's great stuff, like that. But he's not so angry that he can sell a load of Slim Jims by lobbing them out in the crowd. And to go against what Tom said, I did not think there was any intensity in this at all. I thought it was really slow to get going. They kind of go back and forth for the first half of the match. And then the second half of the match is just Savage beating Flair up. Then Arn Anderson tries to get involved. That's a terrible job of trying to get involved and then isn't involved. And then the match finishes. And like watching it on TV, I was just like, this is really flat and just doesn't feel very intense or very important. It doesn't hold what Flair has sold in his promo, I don't think. But the crowd, loving it, absolutely loving it. And the lifeguards are wearing some great t-shirts that all match. So I quite like that as well. But yeah, it did, didn't, um, didn't do a whole lot for me, I've got to be honest. This. I'm kind of, kind of come down somewhere between the two of you. Not that you guys are massively apart in terms of your assessment of the match, but I... So are you greasing yourself up and squeezing yourself between me and Tom? Whenever I get the opportunity to, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the match was... You're, you're right, it was standard flair, but with something less about it i actually think flair looks we've seen i mean i was quite impressed with flair versus steamboat at spring stampede 94 for example this is significantly down on that effort for me from flair and he feels like from a physical perspective that he has aged significantly within the year between those two matches he's slower he's less capable he misses his little flop in the corner doesn't do it properly and ends up like just falling down onto the mat even savage feels like he's slightly phoning this in it just doesn't feel like he's bringing what savage usually brings i mean whatever what anyone wants to say about savage everyone talks about the fact that he brings the intensity i didn't feel like he brought the intensity that much it was savage i still thought there was some there but not the level that as old man's alluded to should be there for such supposedly a personal contest so i just thought it was it was okay it was the best thing we've seen on the show probably so far but that really isn't saying very much because we've not seen very much of quality. It was okay, 
but it certainly wasn't what you would expect from Randy Savage versus Ric Flair. And I think partly that is to do with the fact that Flair in particular has got to a point in his career where he really is no longer capable of doing those great matches that he's had in the past. The Arn Anderson thing as well, I found silly because they make a big deal of seeing Arn Anderson as part of the Lumberjacks before the match. So you're thinking, well, this must be significant. And yes, he does try to get involved, but ultimately fruitlessly gets involved. Yeah. And it just feel, again, it just feels slightly off. Like just don't. Like I feel like if you're not going to make, if he's not going to make the difference, then don't have him there so that you can use him later on when he will make the difference. Like it just, I just don't get it. Well, it also for me, what should have happened is that he should have tried to get involved, and the other, the face lumberjacks, stop him, and then they like stop him. They give him a little beat up and they knob him out or something right mm. at the start. Because yeah, it doesn't make it doesn't make old Tanderson look any good, and it doesn't particularly look make Flair look well any better. Weird. Yeah, he's also Flair's got the slightly shorter hair as well mm. by this point, which is is a, a sign of things to come for him. I think the other thing we do see though from Flair is another one of those vertical suplexes where he holds someone up in the air, which we commented yeah. on last week. That we haven't seen him do much, and lo and behold, it does twice in a row from five shows, five years gap <laughs> between them. So presumably, it's something he did do throughout his career. We just haven't been paying attention. Not, not, not great, but not, not terrible. It was, it was okay. It was an okay match. I think, I just think it's not. It's Flair and Savage. Like it should be more than this. Yeah. Great salmon ring attire on Ric Flair. Like <laughs> really caught me off guard. He's wearing like salmon coloured garb I thought well, you know what I'm on board with that really accentuates his tan as well that's just his overwashed um, <laughs> ring attire right. from 10 years before imagine the state of the gusset on those uh, on those pants uh, he was wearing <laughs> so gusset out <laughs> Tony Tony Schiavone next talks about the roadkill tour that has led Vader all the way to his match with Hulk Hogan. We then get a video package which plays uh, and it shows Vader destroying loads of different wrestlers. And, and, in, and it's interspersed with a promo on Hogan, uh, which he talks about the fact that he's going to kill Hulkamania. So the roadkill tour is, again, like you said, they do a good job at, you know, showing Vader just killing people um, through the ring. But. It's set to Rey, what would eventually turn out to be Rey Mysterio's music in WCW. Yes, I was trying to remember whose music it was, and then, yes, good. In terms of the interview with Vader, with Mean Gene, I didn't take too much out of it, other than the fact that, well, one, I'm glad that Gene's taken his hat off, because he looks more professional at this point. <laughs> and also, Vader appears to slag off Hulk Hogan for tanning <laughs> at one point in it, which, to be fair, the tan that he's got is is absolutely ridiculous. And then, at the end of the promo, Vader throws something to the ground. Don't know what it is. He just chucks something down. No idea what it was or what the context well, it is. It's all a bit strange because the video package includes a Vader promo as part of it. And then yeah. we have an interview with Gene Oakland with Vader, which is really strange. Like, you've got, hang on, two talking segments from the same person. Didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Vader says that he has been chasing Hogan from coast to coast and that now there's nowhere left for Hogan to go unless he's going to go swimming, which I thought was quite quite fun. Mm. And Vader says that he shows, talking about himself, he says Vader shows no fear and feels no pain. Uh, and he says that someone needs to tell Hogan what time it is because it is Vader time. 
Tony Schiavone then hypes up WWE's next pay-per-view, Collision in Korea, in North Korea, which uh, has a main event of Ric Flair versus Antonio Inoki and is the subject, I believe, of a behind... Uh, what, what's it called? The Dark Side of the Ring. That's it. That's the one. It's, it is a very interesting, very odd and quite terrifying documentary. But I would recommend anybody watch. You'll find it on Daily Motion or something like that. I don't know if it's been released over here yet. But it is, it's very interesting. It's, it's fucking mental there's there's a story about two called scorpio and road warrior hawk having a scrap and it's oh it's bonkers it's bonkers <laughs> and scott, scott norton looks like he's about to explode every opportunity in it like he does in real life as well it is i've seen it it is a good uh it's a good documentary and uh i can't help but even though he seems quite insane during it i can't help but like two called scorpio while he's talking no. <laughs> yeah he's amazing he's there's like a bit i i, I think two called scorpio is I don't think he gets the the, rep, the credit he deserves for being low-key fucking mental in some mm. of the stuff he talks about um, in the way that someone like a Virgil or a, a Scott Steiner, someone who does these shoot promos and says mad shit. Because I was also listening to a uh, an episode of Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard and, and Two Called Scorpio says something about the uh, the Montreal Screwjob uh, about being there. And then <laughs> Bruce Pritchard's like, he went there. He, he, he worked for WWE at the time. There's no way he would have been there. <laughs> so, just, yeah, he comes out with this low-key madness. God, too quite squad. I think Bruce Pritchard's wrong. I think he was there at the time. Oh, really? Yeah. So I think it's actually Bruce Pritchard who's talking mad at that point. No, we, we, can edit, we can edit this out. Keeping it in just to show how mad Bruce Pritchard is. Someone's got to tell the other side of the story. He gets to basically shape the narrative however he wants on that podcast. So somebody else has got to like present the other side. So are we are we saying Conrad Thompson should start a podcast with two called Scorpio? <laughs> yes, that would be. I better tell you what, that'd be better than Bruce Pritchard. <laughs> then we get a Gene Oakland interview with Hulk Hogan, Jimmy Hart and Dennis Rodman. Um, they say that, that Vader, they have Vader right where they want him. And Hogan says that if anybody else tries to interfere, Dennis Rodman will take care of them. This is so heel, it's unreal. Huh? Don't mind <laughs> that. Um, so you've initially got Rod the Bod putting his hands on Hogan. What happens is Hogan says something about Vader and he's like, and I'll spit on you, brother. <clears throat> and then, then uh, Rodman like pretends to wipe his mouth. Like, watch his mouth, uh... watch his spit on Hogan's mouth, and he doesn't like it at all. Ah, oh, he's he's talked about feeding Vader to the sharks. <laughs> I mean, there's also like he, well, he telegraphs a section of the main event by saying that Rod the Bod's gonna protect the door because we've just seen Vader running through people like there's no tomorrow. Who's gonna help him? He doesn't need any help. This is Big Van Vader. He doesn't need any bloody help. It's weird. And also, like, Rodman's there. Kind of forget how lean NBA players are because he looks so small in terms of, like, body size compared to even Jimmy Hart. <laughs> I was a bit like, oh, who's he protecting? What I find funny at the end is that they, they then they cut to Dennis Rodman, who says something. I genuinely didn't know what he said. <laughs> I rewound it to see if I no could idea. figure out anything what he says. And I can't, but he's just mumbling up a storm. What I did like, though, at the end, as they walk off, Mean Gene, if anything happens in that cage with Rodman, I'm sure he'll rebound it. That's absolute class from Mean Gene. He's still got it if he tries. <laughs> that was a moment where, he, where he, his own natural talent shone through for once. Yeah. yeah. On the rest the of the show, it doesn't. Yeah, it cut through the apathy, didn't it? 
did a bit. So yes, we that leads us to our main event, Hulk Hogan versus Vader. And I should at this point say that Vader's got his singlet on the wrong way round. He's wearing the back. <laughs> back I, I don't know it's that. He's uh it's it's funny because I did I did hesitate because first thing I saw was Vader time on the on his back and I thought well maybe it's just supposed to be on his back maybe that's just you know this particular one is designed that way no the the front bit is definitely narrower than the back bit the back bit is supposed to be on the front and you, and I've seen him do it before that's not the first time I've seen Vader do this so not great this is for the WCW World Title it's thirteen and a half minutes in length and it ends when yes indeed. Dennis Rodman is called into service because Zodiac and Kevin Sullivan run to the ring. Uh, he gets rid of them. They can't get involved. Hogan hits two leg drops, um, but doesn't go for a pin. Instead, tries to climb out of the cage. Vader then stops him, but they fight on the top rope for a little bit until Hogan knocks him down and then climbs out of the cage for the win. Old man, your thoughts on this one? Hogan does the impossible. He has a poor match with Vader. This is so weird. We've said this a couple of times about Hogan's matches where, like, in the early stages of this match, he's properly dominating Vader. Like, you've got this monster in Vader that they've built as a monster as well. And yet Hogan is throwing him round like he's a toddler, to be honest. And Vader, to his credit, is selling all over the shop for him. Like, Hogan at one point is dominating so much early on that he puts on Vader's head thing. (laughs) this is the thing is it is it is funny but it's so crap because it's the way he walks across the room there he's like oh yeah yeah he's completely shitting on the mystique of vader completely shitting on it vader then gets his little comeback and he hits two vader bombs to which Hogan obviously kicks out, which is just awful. Doesn't need to happen. Then the Dungeon of Doom come down. So these are the guys, right? As we said earlier, they're pretty tough because they've just taken out Duggan. So we know they're the real fucking deal. (laughs) But Dennis Rodman and a plastic chair held upside down. They're terrified of it. They're absolutely fucking bricking it around this. So they run off. And then... Obviously, the finish happens as Tingu's laid out. And I'm just sat there thinking, you've got Vader. Vader! He's the gift that keeps on giving because he's so fucking good. And you've jobbed him out to Hogan and they properly job him out. And I was quite frustrated watching this, mainly because it's not very good. And also because they've done that to Vader, whose music and entrance is just really great. Except for the fact that his singlet is on backwards. Didn't even notice because he's so good. He can even pull off wearing a singlet backwards. <laughs> I thought this was a really bad... Well, we haven't even got to the end. But this is a really bad match to end a really bad show on. Watched in isolation. I might not think it's so bad. But watched in line with the rest of the show. I'd had enough. And I wanted to put on the little mask thing. And I wanted to have a little cry and think about what I'd done. And what I'm doing with my life. Tom, were you uh, as as depressed about this <laughs> as old man was? So I no, I'm not as depressed about it. I didn't think it was particularly good, but there was there were a few bits in it that that made me not as horrifically upset as old man is. Although I don't know there's much that could make me that sad. Um, <laughs> Vader's helmet is fucking cool. It's still so cool. It's evolved since the last time we saw it, evidently, and and it still looks awesome. 
Um, Hogan comes into the ring and attacks Vader with his T-shirt. Yeah. And then he does some pretty brutal looking stomps to Vader's head from the top of the cage. So he, like Vader's in the, ter- in, the, in the corner and Hogan climbs up onto the top rope and starts like stomping on his head and then hits him with a double axe handle. And if you didn't have, if you watched it out of context with no uh, sound on, you'd be like, Hulk Hogan's the heel. You'd yeah. be like, oh, he turned a heel at Bash at the Beach 95. Because 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 he he just is is, is working so heel. Hogan's hair is very long and luxurious yes. at this point. Very long indeed. Almost goes down to his shoulders. Beautiful work. And I find it quite hard to watch from the hard angle this match mm-hmm. with the cage in the way and with it with the odd lighting of it being actually naturally lit. Um, I, I found it quite hard to see and um, I quite enjoyed the fact there was a cameraman in the cage with them. <laughs> just like getting in the way which <laughs> is quite entertaining i was a big fan of hogan putting the helmet on just because it was so stupid i didn't i didn't think about it too much in terms of the context of you know them him shitting on it it just it made me laugh because it just the way he did it it just looked so so silly if i could turn back time to quote share <laughs> i wish thinky you wore the suit that jimmy hart is wearing at your wedding <laughs> that would have been amazing. It's just a, it's the old air spray, but it's not just the jacket; it's the entire suit with Hulk Hogan on it, and it's tremendous. And there is one bit of commentary which I loved in this match: Vader punches Hogan, and uh, Bobby Heenan says, "He hit him so hard that I think his mustache fell off." <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then Tony Shredder goes, "I don't, I don't think so." Yeah. <laughs> So good. The yeah, the Taskmaster Zodiac come down. Rodman beats them off. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, and that's about it. That's this one. It wasn't. It wasn't a great match. And it's definitely the worst Vader match I think I've seen. Which is disappointing because he's become. I think for all of us, especially the old man. I, you've probably seen more Vader matches than, than old man and I have thinking. But I think he's become a bit of a favourite of this podcast, yeah, old has. Vader. And it was a shame to see him lose in quite a crap match in quite a crap manner against quite a crap Hogan in quite a crap cage match in an interesting saying. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I kind of feel the same as you. I think you're right. It is the worst Vader match we've seen, certainly, and we've covered on this show so far. And that is entirely down to Hogan. But I actually think this is probably as good as Hogan is during this period. Like this, I was expecting much worse than this. I thought this was pretty decent, given that Hogan was his opponent. I actually think that, again, Hogan during this period for me is someone else who is phoning it in throughout this period of time, not specifically during this match. Because going back to that match I was talking about where he loses the belt at Halloween Havoc uh, later in the year. One of the things that happens during that that match is that the giant who's making his debut on that show gets him in a bear hug. And then the mummy comes down. I think he's the Yeti, actually. He's called the, the, the Yeti, but they call him the Yeti. I don't know if that's an Americanism or not. That's <laughs> no, what it's not. Him. That's just weird. That's um, just bad pronunciation. They call him the Yeti, or so, at least Tony Schiavone does. And he comes and bear hugs Hogan from behind. So he's dressed up as a mummy. He comes and bear, bear hugs Hogan from behind. The giant is bear hugging Hogan from the front. <laughs> it looks, it does look like a threesome. It does look like a sexual Ooh, encounter. Hello, I mean, but also, that. It looks ridiculous because he's a mummy, basically. He's a massive guy. He's really tall. I think it's Ron Reese who plays him, um, who later on be part of Raven's flock. I think. I think that's who plays him. Um, but anyway, it looks fucking ridiculous. And there is a time in Hogan's career when he cares where he would have said, no, nah, we're not doing that. That's just going to be stupid. This is going to look stupid. It's going to make me look stupid. It's going to look the whole promotion stupid. 
he doesn't they do it they actually carry it through and it feels like hogan is just phoning it in but vader doesn't let him phone it in during this match he's he's giving him the stiff shots that he always does he's he, he doesn't he's got no respect for hogan's reputation he's just treating him like he would anybody else properly going in there with hard punches there's some good moments there's one point where vader does or tries to go for a senton bomb but mm. hogan moves but he does it in such a way that makes me think makes me wonder whether he might have even been trying briefly to think about a shooting star press because (laughs) because he lands at an angle which is almost like he's trying another revolution of the the splash is it's really odd Um, he lands like too much on his on like his the top of his back doesn't yeah the the bottom yeah 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 totally so it's just I, i don't know what what's happening there and yeah i don't really like the way that hogan treats vader in terms of kind of put himself over but that's Hogan I mean that's what you get from every match with Hogan like I don't really think there's really very many occasions on which he is doing kind of anything to help anybody else out and especially here in WCW where I think he ultimately had the rev he had the attitude that he was just more important than everybody else and probably at this point there's some degree of um, reason to believe that's probably true, given that WSW's business was uh, had improved as a consequence of Hogan being part of the company. So it was about as good as I could ever imagine this match being. And that is entirely because Vader is an absolute legend. And you're right, probably is a favourite of this podcast, given the performances we've seen him have. So the match and the show appears to be over. Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan do a, a sort of sign off and start to walk away from the commentary position, which, which before, before we get to, before we get to what's next, I found that just bizarre in itself. Why would you show Bobby Heenan being eager to leave? Yeah. Like, like you, you're supposed to be selling the idea that this has been this hellacious event, which is really exciting and you want more of it because it's so good. Now, Bobby Heenan just cannot wait to get up off his chair and leave the commentary shack, as you called it earlier on. But before they can properly get away, Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. No, it's Ric Flair and his vest. <laughs> Sorry. So Ric Flair comes to the ring, starts to berate Vader for not destroying Hulk Hogan, which makes no sense anyway. Um, Vader then goes to attack Flair, but Anderson runs out to stop him and Flair and Anderson then run away. Vader then tells the camera to bring it on to Flair and Anderson. Um, and then we see another little bit of Heenan and Shavoni again talking about some of the highlights of the Hogan Vader match and the show in general. Shavoni reminds us once more of the collision in Korea. And once again, Bobby Heenan looks very, very eager to just be done with the whole thing. <laughs> it's so weird because, and what we've said all through this show, the crowd ain't really got a clue who most of these people are. They're just people on a beach having a nice time. Why do they give a shit about Fair coming down having a shout? In a vest as well, as Tom says, after the shower of Vader, when you can't hear it at all anyway. It's so weird. And also, you like you said about Heenan and Shivoni, or Heenan's evidently gagging to get somewhere. I don't know whether he's, well, to be fair, he probably needs a stiff drink after phoning in for that long. But they can't go anywhere because they're in amongst the crowd. So he can't go anywhere anyway, unless he's going to go in the sea. A really crap end to a really crap show. So is that your overall kind of thoughts on the show, old man? Well, all right. So it's crap. I do not think there is a good match on this show. I do not think there is anything that I would term good. There are a couple of average. So you've got Flair, Savage and uh, Meng and Sting, uh, average matches. The match of the night is just Sting and Meng. 
by probably the width of the amount of face paint that is left on Sting after wrestling in this heat. <laughs> MVP, I mean, fucking hell. I don't, I, to be honest, I think it should probably go to us because <laughs> we've, we've watched it. But I will give it to Savage's dad for being shirtless. <laughs> and, for, and, and for as Tom says, he's a dad. He just looks like a dad. And he's not one of these buff dads like Arn Anderson. He's a dad. Well done, Savage Dad. Um, the rating is really, really, really difficult because I really don't know. I was hoping I wasn't going to go first. I shouldn't have started talking, really. Um, I am going to give this a three out of ten. Do you want me to help you a little bit here in saying, telling you what you've rated lower than that? Yes, please. So you've only given two. No, you've given three ratings that are two. You've yeah. never given a one. Those three shows were sold out, 1997, mm-hmm. um, Slamboree, 2000, and Judgment Day, 2007. They all got a rating of two for you. The uh, the ratings that have got th- the other shows have got three. In fact, there's only one that's got a three so far, and that was Fastlane, 2017. I'm gonna go with a three because it gets an extra point for the beach setting. I think. I think it was you said earlier, Tinky. If this is an arena, this is unwatchable. But because it's on a beach and you get some like people acting like dicks in the crowd because they're on a beach and probably beard up, it can have the extra point. Lovely stuff. Um, so are we? Savage's dad is the MVP, and yeah. uh, Master Knight was Meng versus Sting. So on Savage's dad, I mean that's Angelo Poffer. Let's not forget a, a wrestler of his own in his own right, certainly yeah. at one point in, his, in in time. What I didn't like about I forgot to mention this when they had the match. Why is Savage's dad halfway down the aisle? And they they show the camera on him during the match at one point. He is struggling to see. He's around a load of people that couldn't give a fuck. They're just messing around in the front row. And he's like trying to look over the heads of everyone. And like, you can, you can like, God, he can't see a fucking thing because there's all these people mucking around in front of him. Well, to be honest, if he was there for the whole show, he's a lucky fucker because he can't see anything. (laughs) Tom, your, your assessment. Uh, I'm going to go for, I, I got a three as well. It wasn't as bad as Soul Out, which is the only two that I can remember giving. I'm sure I've given up two, but I didn't. Do you know? Fuck it, I'm giving it two. Bollocks, this is rubbish. And the beach, the beach helps, but it's, this is rubbish. My match of the night is, as the old man said, there's not a good match on the on the entire pay per view. I'm gonna give Rick Flair Savage just because reasons. And my MVP of the night is the uh, the old sunglass salesman on the beach who evidently sold uh, sort of the lads their sunglasses. <laughs> Just to, just to clear up one thing there, Tom, you have given a one before, which is obviously to your hated Fastlane 2017 show. That was yeah, a, a rating of one. Um, but you have this, not given anything else less than a three. Okay, well, I'm giving this a two. I'm going to give it a two. And the, the, it, again, like what old man said, the beach saves it from being a one. Yeah, I have given this one a three, a rating of three. Um, I agree it's not very good. There isn't a single match that goes above average. Certainly not. There are three, as you say, I think there are three average matches on it. I think the main event, Randy Savage and Ric Flair and Sting versus Meng, are all relatively average. And I actually give my match tonight to Vader versus Hogan. I think I liked it more, certainly more than old band Mm. did, probably a little bit more than you did, Tom. But I also didn't like the Savage Flair as much as you did, Tom. And I didn't like the Sting Meng match as much as you did, old man. So um, overall, the quality is consistent throughout for all of us. The middle five matches are an absolute waste of 
life, life. I mean, just <laughs> fucking dreadful um in particular when you're going through the kamala jim duggan match and the dave sullivan versus ddp match you're just like what the fuck is this awful. about it's absolutely dreadful so yeah not a good show too many people phoning it in the whole company seems to be phoning it in and just as i say like relying on the money they've got to spend on big names that's just carrying them through my mvp is tony shivoni because he genuinely was the person who got me through the show i don't think i would have got it got through it if shivoni wasn't around both trying to do his job and at the same time not not caring too much that nobody else seemed to be doing theirs from memory i think this is the one show so i'm reasonably like when i start watching a wrestling show i'm reasonably stubborn in that i will make it pretty much to the end by doing a couple of sittings regardless of how good the show is and i'm talking shows not for this podcast this is a show that i think probably after the second match i would have turned off and never come back to shit house <laughs> i think the the one thing that the one redeem feature of this pay-per-view is the fact that none of the matches go any longer than 16 minutes <laughs> you know yeah. at least mm. most of the matches are short <laughs> at least yeah. of that could you imagine this with a triple h early 2000s main event <laughs> can you imagine that where you get through all this bloody dreadful shit and then he has a match with uh, anyone and it goes 35 minutes time limit draw a very odd time limit they've set. No, no, no. Even even Triple H wouldn't have a time limit draw. He'd win. That's true. But in the most unconvincing way. Right. Well, that gets us through Bash of the Beach 1995. And I apologise for the negativity, but it really wasn't an easy one to get through. We're, we've had a couple of stinkers as of late, so hopefully things will improve in the weeks to come. Um, this week's game is just moments away. But before we get there, just take a moment to head on over to Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or really anywhere you can and give us a follow on our social media channels. We can be found at RWRPod UK. So the game and Tom is our host. I am your host and I'm glad old man brought him up just then because it was going to be more relevant for last week when I thought I was doing it. Uh, the game is focused on the game's namesake, Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Oh, yeah. I would like you lads to tell me the 23 opponents that he has faced at wrestlemania <laughs> oh it's not hunter herself as well by the way it's uh horace um hatred havoc that's his uh that's what it means <laughs> exactly horace hatred havoc um so i'm gonna go with i think i went with tinky first last time so i'm gonna go old man uh undertaker the undertaker three times he's wrestled him at WrestleMania 17, 27, and 28. Mm. Um, the Rock. Yes, at WrestleMania 16. You know the ambulance, Tinky. I can't know. <laughs> nah. uh, Mick Foley. Mick Foley at WrestleMania 16. Big Show. The Big Show. WrestleMania 16. <laughs> uh, Randy Orton. Randall Keith Orton. WrestleMania's 24 and 25. Um, Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels. WrestleMania 20. I've got these done in date of the WrestleManias, so it's really hard to find anything. WrestleMania 20. Uh, Sheamus. It's a shameful thing. Lobster here. <laughs> WrestleMania 26. Uh, Chris Benoit. Chris Benoit. WrestleMania 20. Muy bien. Ronda Rousey. 
Ronda Rousey, WrestleMania 24. Kurt Angle. Same again, WrestleMania 24. The icon, Sting. Hey, Sting! <laughs> WrestleMania 31. Um, Kane. Kane, WrestleMania 15. A match that I had forgotten even existed. Yeah. Uh... Jonathan Cena. John Felix Anthony Cena. <laughs> WrestleMania 22 and 24. Uh, Ultimate Warrior. The Ultimate Warrior. <laughs> WrestleMania 12. Uh, Roman Reigns. WrestleMania 32. Temple is fucking I'm sweating. Uh, Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar. WrestleMania 29. Daniel Bryan. WrestleMania 30. Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins. WrestleMania 33. Batista. WrestleMania 21 and 35. I'm, I'm going to be throwing in the towel because I literally am now at the point where I have nothing left. you got to give me something, Tinky. You didn't find a towel. Yeah. All right, no, that's fair enough. Uh, how about we go with... Fuck it, I don't... I don't, honestly don't have anything. Um, Jericho. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's WrestleMania 18. Of course it yeah. is. Yeah, main event. That's how fucking much of an impression it is. The WrestleMania 18 main event I literally had no memory of before I said before you said that. Uh Booker T. Oh, WrestleMania nineteen. It really can't be many more left. No. There are two left. Two left. Okay. Who would he have faced at WrestleMania? He's a big name, right? So, oh, hang on. Uh, oh, who would... I'm going to guess... Oh, Owen Hart. Owen Hart, WrestleMania 14. Just one left. Shit, that was mine. I am going to go Ahmed Johnson. I'm afraid, I'm afraid you haven't got it, old man. That's, that's heartbreaking. Tinky's just got it, hasn't he? Is it... I don't know. Is it Gold Dust? It is. No, oh. it was the toss-up between those two. What? What a game! What a game! That ah oh, 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 lads. I think think he'd won anyway, but still tremendous. No, because uh, old man, old man went first, so I still needed to get one. Yeah. Um, oh, yes. So uh, I did need to get it, but you know what? I was so close to losing when I was on the Jericho thing because I was literally like, I'm gonna have to give up. I don't. I can't think of it anymore. So. Thank you for not letting me give up, quite frankly, because I wouldn't have chucked out the well, name Jericho. I think we've done ourselves proud. You have done. You've both done tremendous work there. That's fantastic. Yeah, well, there we go. I don't have anyone else to... to, to I've got no more time to fill because you guys have done it all. So, well done. I believe that's the first time that's ever happened. Yeah, probably is. The first time we've got yeah. all of the answers, pretty much. Um, so, yeah, great stuff. Great stuff. Um, old man, thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. We've had a blast with Bash at the Beach, even though no one else had a good time. But they probably haven't remembered. Not as well as you will remember, Ken Patera. And Tom, thank you for your contributions as well. Cheers, mate. I'm off to uh, wash the old sand out of my crevices. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back again next week, where hopefully there will be no sand in our crevices. Until then, take care. <laughs>